Meanwhile, at the Hall of the Justice League... I think the important thing to focus on here is that the final 12 is the end of G.I. Joe forever. <laughs> now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write that in an email or anything. I think I found our show opener. Good evening, everyone. It is Sunday night, November 18. It is time for the What's on Joe Mind in November 2018 episode. My name is Mike Arizari. My normal co-hosts, Carson Metaxas and Joe Colton, are both waylaid by work conflicts. So we're going to the bench tonight. Pulled a couple of great guest hosts. Joining us from Joe Battlelines and Just Another G.I. Joe show, Fred Meyer, the pride of Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> Peoria has pride? When did that happen? I mean, you're it, so you, you judge that on your own. Yeah, that's true. Setting the bar low. And the Ginger Hammer, live from Rhode Island, former head of the G.I. Joe brand at Hasbro, Mark Weber. I don't know that I was ever the head of the brand, but I was a soul. How's that? <laughs> Mark, gingers have no souls. Oh, that's a good point. Ooh, he went That's there. Fine. You know what? Many are many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> the few, the proud, yeah. the ginger. That's from a little book called The Bible. Thank you very much. And I will use it for redhead pride. There you go. Hey, we all have our crosses to bear. Yes, we do. <laughs> Mine is the sunlight, actually. But beyond that, beyond that, I'm good to go. The whole world's seen through a magnifying glass. <laughs> Mike said, you want to show? I said, do I have to go outside? He said, no. I said, I'm in. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Coppertone. That's it. An SBF 450. <laughs> I don't think I ever got enough credit for surviving Arizona State University and 15 years in the Valley of the Sun. How did and you not just like burst into flames out there? The best story I have, I was, we were walking to a conference downtown back in my radio days a lifetime ago, and it was a long walk. We, there was no parking near the, I think it was for the Arizona Rattlers back when the arena football was a thing. And uh, we were walking, and I told, I was with our lead reporter, and I'm like, hey, Mike, can we cross the street? And he's like, yeah, man. So we did, and we walked like two blocks, and he said, wait a minute, did, did we cross the street to walk a shade? And I'm like, yeah, they're right. <laughs> It's a long walk. It's a long walk, man. What shade of purple do you want me when we get there? <laughs> That's a good enough. For, I've heard of worse reasons. Exactly. Survival of the fittest, man. I would say grimace sightings would be up by about fifty-five <laughs> percent that day. Man, I got I got three modes, man. I got pasty white, I got bright pink, and I got purple. And there's Ooh. only like a minute's difference between pink and purple. <laughs> So, so you got you got to be got to be careful out there. I, I am the real life Zartan. It's like so, a, uh, it's like that first that first whip of of burning popcorn in the microwave. That's that's it, man. You have a split second to react, or it's or it's that's all going it. to go to crap. I think you take that even further. When you hear the the bag is almost done, and you know you've got like a four second window before the bag is burnt, that's my life. 
basically outdoors. So Mark has to wait so that, until a popping slows between three five seconds each. Yes. If, if I were a bag of popcorn, I would stop me when you heard the first pop. <laughs> this intro, just, just to be safe. This intro segment's brought to you by AVAX Lab at avaxlab.com. Uh, all kinds of custom parts to enhance your G.I. Joe experience. AVAX Lab, it's a great place to get a little head. I'm going to let that go. I was going to say, uh, not in by the Children's Television Network. Clear, clearly, you guys don't listen to the program, is all I'm saying. I think, I think, it's, I think the correct response to that is, I'll allow it. <laughs> and that rolls us into segment number two already, Roll Call, sponsored by 3djoes.com. This is where we discuss what's coming up on the calendar, where we've been recently. Honestly, we're getting out of con season and into the holidays, so there isn't a whole lot going on as far as the convention calendar goes, unless you guys have something local that you're doing. I live in Peoria, so unless it's a Hot Wheels or Diecast show, there is a big fat goose egg of anything action figure related in this area. you got to get down to St. Louis for Toy Man or something. That or Kane County up in Chicago. There is literally nothing in the center of the state. Aside from uh, Assembly Required recently, which is, you know, over in Dubuque, which work kept me from. But, yeah, big old nothing here. Yeah, that was the one thing on the calendar was Assembly Required back on November 10 in scenic Des Moines, uh, the world's largest truck stop, Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) It's very clean. They have a nice Burger King. You can certainly do worse than Des Moines. Actually, say they have zombie burger. There's lots of neat stuff in Des Moines. I'm, I'm giving it a short shift. I, I was there once about 15 years ago, and apparently there's a, a bit more that they've added to their plate since then. So I, I can't really say that I'm an expert on the lay of the land out that way. But unfortunately, none of, none of the three of us got there, did we? No. Okay. No. Yeah, no. Uh, not that it isn't a budding vacation wonderland, but I, I did not. <laughs> Des Moines. But uh, Assembly Required was was back on November 10. I know our good friends over at Full Force, Chris McLeod, was there. Took lots of videos, lots of pictures. And you can check out his recaps uh, over at Full Force. His Tiger Force recap, if I might add. For the most part, yeah. There's a lot of orange going on in McLeod land. And I have to say, Kate looks like she killed it with her, her Tiger Force outback. Yeah, you know, her beard was a little weak, though. So, so was Chris's, though, so... <laughs> I was shocked to see the helmet over his hair. I I commented on Instagram. I'm like, man, that that helmet really does hold down the quaff. I'm sure some kind of bargain had to be reached, like he had to talk the helmet into or talking. Well, really, I didn't misspeak, but I kind of misspoke. He had to talk his hair into accepting the helmet for the day, and then <laughs> perhaps at the end of the day, fed it a small child. <laughs> Jeez, I'm sure the hair just dug it in the morning when they thought you know the aerosol assault was coming. And they're like, "What? Not today? I know we didn't run out. What's <laughs> there's still some ozone left? You can't be done." <laughs> right. I don't. I don't believe Chris is a hairspray guy. He is more of a gel guy. Oh, Ooh. here in the St. Louis area, December nine, we've got a Toy Man show coming up, and and so I'll probably be there if nothing else. 
that's about it for the, the roll call community calendar. News is what we're here for today. So that's what it sounds like we're rolling through our normal segments quickly without much discussion, but frankly, there's not much to discuss. We go usually from here to Joe Colton presents creepy fanboy messages straight from Losertown, sponsored by the finest. But of course, with no Joe Colton, we don't have creepy fanboy messages straight from Losertown. Unless, do you guys have you guys received creepy fanboy messages straight from Losertown? I got a Facebook message from some guy named Mike the other day asking if I wanted to do a podcast, and I thought it was a euphemism, but then it turned out to be legit. So now, beyond that, sound shady. Turn it down. That's what I was thinking. Mark? Yeah, I had an. Uh... Uh, I think the only the creepiness was I haven't been on Skype in I don't know maybe two months or so. Uh, so setting this up uh, to to pop on and and speak with you fine gentlemen. It'd been a little while before Skype opened up on the old Weber two thousand out here, and apparently there are some Russian women interested in uh, saying hello. So uh, I know what I'm doing after the show. <laughs> Se- uh, seems seems legit. So okay. did, did you? Um... In your time at Hasbro, did you ever get any weird, weird messages from fans with strange demands or not making I any don't, sense? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think they filtered stuff like that out. And our, you know, honestly, our email addresses weren't too hard to figure out. I don't know. I think I was under the radar uh, so much, and I think the, you know, the the fan base has been rather whittled down over the years. So I think the. What we have are people who are pretty dedicated and, and focused and optimistic and hopeful for Joe. So maybe uh, having the brand run at low tide helps shake off some of the, the uh, odder elements of the fan base. So you didn't get a lot of Ice Cream Soldier Baroness fanfic sent your way? Not a lot. You know, some of it was fine. Uh, <laughs> some of it was outstanding. Just in other words. And I think... I think it's important to make the distinction here that just because Joe is not with us to let us know what's going on in Losertown doesn't mean that there aren't still creepy fanboy messages piling up in her inbox. Oh, no. The next month's holiday episode will probably have to go double strength. Double shot power! That's really, it's become my favorite segment of the entire program. Words cannot express the joy I have laughing at these people. That gives me hope that I've, I'm doing something right out there. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a morale builder. I think for any you know normal human being, for for my own rapidly decaying sense of self worth, it, it pumps it back up just a little bit. <laughs> as, as bad things are, you're not the guy going, um, Miss Colton, um, would you go to prom with me? Right. <laughs> hey, Fred, you as, got you as got Sir, as Serpentor. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. a <Serpentor. laughs> You got a guy who used to be Mr. Hasbro here, Fred. You're gonna get Mr. Hasbro going. Oh, it, it could happen. It, it, it could. Mr. Hasbro's question could return. To fill you in on this, Mark, way back, <laughs> we went to JoeCon in Atlanta. Uh, this was 2007. Fred and I actually we made the the trip with a couple other guys all the way down to Atlanta together. We were, you know, we were hung out for most of the weekend and went to the panels. And before one of the panels, I don't even remember what panel it was, but before it started, they were playing videos from the the direct-to-DVD stuff, the the promo videos that they put out for Valor vs. Venom and and, uh, Spy Troops and and what have you. Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) 
And uh, it was the very beginning of the one that had, uh, what was the one with Wild Bill and the tank and, and high tech? Oh, it was uh, Spy Troops. That was, okay, so that was Spy Troops. And it's the very beginning, okay? So they're introducing all the characters, and and, and Duke is there bragging on, on high tech's abilities and says something to the effect of, it will even will be even more unstoppable once high tech gets all this technology working in the Patriot Grizzly. And then there's just a very brief pause. But in that brief pause, Fred puts the squeaky teen voice on and throws a perfectly placed um <laughs> and the entire room falls over. Oh, good times. And so then we, we spent the weekend trying to figure out other places to put that voice. <laughs> We had Neil Hoffman, who I believe was still brand manager at the time. I, I kept telling him, you know, during the Hasbro panel that I was going to ask him, like, oh, Mr. Hasbro. Um, and so there was a point when I when I went to ask him a question and I raised my hand. He calls on me. I went, oh, um, <clears throat> yes, uh, Neil. And he just he shot me this look of death for a moment. That's awesome. Neil Hoffman is mentioned on a bench guy, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. And he is he is every brand manager's complete icon and role model. Struck out on his own, took an idea, became a multimillionaire, and now does whatever the hell he wants. I, he was one of the nicest guys, you know, of the people that I was dealing that I ever dealt with at Hasbro, as far as just patient with people. It was a lot like you, Mark. He was just so patient with all the questions and answering the same thing over and over. He he took to the the some of the the ribbing pretty well. That was in the 25th era, so the the brand was kind of at a a frenzy at that point. He went on to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I never I've never met him in person, but I've only, I've only ever heard good things about him, and and just knowing what he did. You know, it's funny to say he's an icon among brand managers, but you can't write much of a better success story than that. Yeah. I remember watching his episode of Shark Tank. Neil wouldn't tell you the outcome beforehand, and we were all like, you you really were pulling for this guy to get a deal. And when he did, it was from two of the sharks. It was like, you go, buddy. You go. Absolutely. That's uh, our not-so-creepy message from fanboys straight from Loser Town. Uh, Loser Town! <laughs> Sponsored by the finest, and I don't have any of their contact information because usually I've got Joe Colton here to tell me that sort. So good job, Joe Colton. Way to be. That brings us to the news. News sponsored by GeneralJoes.com. You guys ready? Yeah. This is where the oh, meat yeah. gets made. This is where the meat and potatoes get <clears throat> baked. Let me crack my knuckles. That's right. We loose. We limber. Couple not honestly, not in a long time, but I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Mark fool you. He's doing lunges as we speak. Oh God, it's been a long time. <laughs> that was a that was a cleaner joke than I had, so we'll just leave it. <laughs> Self editing's tough. First news item is under the set uh, Hasbro doings. I don't know anything going on. Well, no. yes. Uh, <laughs> from a numbers standpoint, none of it's good. Reports are that inventory is down 17% from 2017, third quarter. Stock is down 3% from second quarter. 
Sales are down 7% in the U.S. and 24% internationally from second quarter. To a certain extent, this is not a huge surprise. We reported back a couple months ago that sales were way up at the end of second quarter, largely because of the the clearances and just the the panic of everybody getting to Toys R Us that last one or two trips. Uh, Toys sales were way up in the spring as compared to what they normally are and the first part of summer and, and what have you. And so the third quarter rolls around and Toys R Us isn't there anymore. It's not even a matter of, of toys not being in demand. It's it's more about there's not as many places to buy them. Yeah. And the, the chains that do have them, distribution doesn't seem to be super awesome at either Walmart or Target right now. No. There was an article that we found on CNBC, basically why the the inventory that number is is down so significantly is because toys r us is the only one of those major retailers that would already be planning for their christmas stock at this point in the year in the third quarter and so without toys r us there to purchase order whatever that stock it hasn't been made yet there's nowhere for it to go let me read from that article this is dated october 22nd on cnbc from a article on CNBC titled Hasbro CEO we were unable to meet all of the demand within the quarter October 22 although retailers rushed in to fill the void left behind by Toys R Us these new partners have been waiting to place toys on shelves until closer to the holiday season obviously Toys R Us would take on inventory earlier in the season as a result Hasbro said its retail inventories in the U.S. were down 17 percent in the third quarter Quote, these are real retailer reductions across our business, and then certainly Toys R Us has some impact. End quote. CEO Brian Goldner said on an earnings conference call the previous Monday. So nobody's buying on a retailer level, which makes it difficult for people to buy on a customer level to, to you know, makes perfect sense, right? I think, yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, everybody, yeah. is, everybody is feeling... In the industry is feeling the Toys R Us sting, and that fight is going to last for a while. Something else to watch, though, is it's it's such a credible reason that it's it'll be interesting to see how long it holds up as unquestionably credible. Because I was, if I had, and this is this is not a Hasbro thing, if I had a toy company and we were struggling for many reasons right now, I would lump them all under the Toys R Us reason. Nobody would question it now, but it's not going to be a... It won't stay the the Teflon problem for much longer, I don't think. No. Yeah, I think the toy companies, they get a they get a pass for about, what, six months, maybe, if that. And then after that, it's like, oh, okay, we can't keep blaming, you know, we can't keep blaming the employee that just left for all the problems, you know. We right. can't keep blaming the retailer that vanished for our own internal woes. I think if you're if you're an investor or a shareholder or a reporter and someone flies this flag beyond the Christmas season, they say, well, Toys R Us really hurt us this Christmas season. You know, that's that's six months ago. If you haven't at least, I don't want to say fit, you haven't adapted your business model for, you know, the biggest selling season of the year, uh, I think that's more, I, I think that's an indictment, actually. Of leadership, and again, that's not that's not for anybody right now. But coming up, I think everybody's going to have to have a different line than Toys R Us hostess. Yeah, yeah. E- either you don't have a good plan in place, or you entirely 
on these retailers to come up with the plan to save you, and neither one of those are a good look for you. Exactly. I think fourth earnings are going to be a little bit better than they were last year because all these companies, you know, the Targets, the Walmarts, the, the, the other players in the market now, the Walgreens, the Coles, the JCPenney's, these places that weren't selling toys last year, they're all going to do that purchasing in the fourth quarter, which is going to be more than last year in the fourth quarter because Toys R Us did all their buying in the third quarter, remember? So yeah. I think fourth quarter earnings will will just a little bit by that. It'll 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 help bounce that back a little bit. Again, we said this going back even a couple of months with with Carson and Joe. It's a little bit of a wild west situation right now. You can't just lose eighteen to twenty percent of the market share or eighteen twenty percent of the eyeballs that see your product and, and not have that have some kind of long term effect. The remaining retailers, if you think about it, always are a department for them. They're not. They're not their their entire focus, you know. And Walmart had said, I don't remember the percentages in an article that I'd read maybe a month or two back. Walmart had talked about what they were going to increase their toy volume on their website by like 33%. And the stores were going to buff up their spaces by 25%. We have one of the largest Walmarts in the state of Illinois, just maybe five miles from the house. No, not even that, like maybe two miles from the house. I haven't seen any change. Put something out there. Yeah, I haven't seen any change. In fact, a lot of the the same pegs that have been empty for weeks are still empty. And that's not just Hasbro. That's Mattel. That's everybody. Yeah. I worked for Target for a long time. I, I worked logistics at Target for a long time. and But I wasn't high up enough to know buying patterns or, or behaviors in that regard. I just kind of know how it worked once it got at the distribution level and lower. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to try and forecast. Mark, you got anything? I saw you laugh for a second there. Just thinking the uh, and what I thought from the from the original news when when it became clear that Toys R Us was not going to survive is that it's going to sting you know Mattel and it's going to sting Hasbro, but it's going to be just murderous on the middle class of toy companies, the kind only had brick and mortar placement at Toys R Us. That was the the joy of to us from a from a industry standard was it didn't almost didn't matter who you are who you were or you know if your toy looked like it was viable toys r us would give you a shot because they weren't pinched by a planogram there was nothing yeah. but real estate right at toys r us mm-hmm. and so as long as the toy looked like it might be viable it got a chance to fly and it doesn't mean it did but if it was a decent idea, decent execution, looked good, it would it would find a home and get a shot. And that's not the case anymore. So my fear when the Toys R Us stuff was coming down was this is going to be dreadful for the middle class of toy companies. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that uh, already. Yeah, I remember reading, too, that Toys R Us, like you said, Mark, was considered the proving ground for a lot of things. You know, you'd get your shot of a year or two at Toys R Us, and if you proved yourself there, the Walmarts and the Targets might then give you a look right. because you were established. I almost wonder if we're going to go into a very risk-averse toy industry now. Yeah, I think I, I think that's absolutely accurate, especially with everybody knows the, the screen on the youth of today is getting them out of the toy aisle and they're going towards the electronics aisle. So with a shrinking customer base, and the big 
I don't want to say the big equalizer, but the big normalizer almost of Toys R Us not being there. I, I think it's going to be extremely hard for, for new things. And I think you're going to see established uh, brands getting the benefit of the doubt almost every Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of a shame, though, because then again, that stifles innovation. It's the, the, uh, the off-the-wall things off that would force other people maybe to reconsider what they were doing or try some friends. You know, there's a lot of talented people out there that, that have a lot of great ideas that if they can't get to the, you know, the big boys and make a dent there, they're just, they're done. Right. And it also, it increases the follow the herd mentality. So when something does hit, immediately so many companies are trying to follow it was gross humor you know for a while and oh. gross toys and then you know anything small all and collectible and the, the avalanche of blind bag stuff for a while and i would hope that if the the shelves you can get on are actually that much more limited then you have to be that much smarter and that much more break frame i mean that would be my hope that everybody is trying harder because there are less spots on the varsity, basically. But I don't know that that's the case yet. You know, I hope that's the case because you know I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic for the industry uh, as a whole. But this retail challenge can go a couple of very different ways, and I don't think anybody can tell you with a straight face that they have it's going to end up. And I, and I don't see Amazon. I know people were pointing, oh, Amazon is going to step in, but. To find something on Amazon, you have to know it exists. Yeah. And that's going to eliminate a lot of the something catching your eye and, oh, I didn't know this was, I didn't know this was a thing. Or, you know, a child walking down an aisle and something catches their eye and next thing you know, mom and dad are forking over the money for it when they hadn't planned to because online shopping is much more deliberate. Absolutely, and and that make, Amazon is almost the anti Toys R Us in that way, and that's not to speak poorly of Amazon, but Toys R Us, you have that grab off the shelf, and because they have because they were willing to carry almost anything, the variety in there was amazing, and it was a destination shop. Yes. So a parent that takes a kid to Toys R Us and doesn't expect to walk out having purchased something. Yeah, you know, probably hasn't hasn't been doing that parenting thing very long, right? They are at least going to have a conversation about whether or not this is going in the in the uh, cart or not. So, and Amazon is you're right. Very very rarely do you go to Amazon and go. I wonder what I'm going to look for today. For years, I was a uh, couple of years. I was a department manager at the FAO Schwarz in Boston, and I remember that that very phenomenon of. You know, a parent coming in because a child had a good report card or it was their birthday or something or grandma was bringing them in and it was, okay, you have so many dollars, find something. And it was that experience of the kids having a place that was 100% for them. And I was I was talking about that with my fiance recently. Her nephew is two and three quarter and... It's not the same for him. You know, he goes to Target with his parents, but they're there to buy other things. He goes to Walmart. It, you know, it's, you know, dad's picking up water softener salt and maybe he'll get a Paw Patrol item. But it's not, you know, hey, when you're walking in these doors, buddy, it is all you. Yeah, absolutely. 
So. And and for me, I grew up in a small town in the middle of Oregon, and we didn't have a Toys R Us. You know, we'd have to go to Portland for me to get to a Toys R Us. So it was a once or twice yearly trip, and so it was. I mean, it was Nirvana, really, for a kid who loved toys. So I would save my money for months, which was really hard for any kid, but especially for me. And then when we would get up there, my mom would make sure any Portland trip, we have to have a Toys R Us stop for, uh, stop for Mark. And, you know, you would walk in and it was Ode to Joy, basically. Like it, it being not available to me as a kid, yeah. not readily available made it uh, just a destination stop like no other for me as a kid. And so I was being, you know, semi-affiliated in the industry. I was disappointed to see it close because I knew it meant bad things for companies and for lots of my friends. But it was, personally, it was a heartbreaker because there was no store closer to my heart as a kid. Now, I don't know about you guys. Growing up in this area, we did have a local toy store chain. Might we see a return of the small toy store? Or in the in the age of Amazon, are those basically done? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it would take, I would think to get into it, I would think would even locally would require some significant capital. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. It seems to me like collectors are are specialized and somewhat served by comic shops that I might, I think it's probably more likely to see the expansion of a toy section in a comic shop than to see someone go, you know what, that there, this is a ripe opportunity for, for me to hop in, you know, with one store in my area or a couple in this area. I just, I don't know. Especially because the growth isn't there with kids. Yeah, the, the yeah. local comic, like, the, the local toy shop has kind of become a com- a cottage industry. You know, again, my frame of reference is, is mostly like Kokomo Toys, which kind of bucks that a little bit in that they actually get new product. Like, a lot of these places exist solely to sell vintage product. Yeah. You know, stuff that's 10, 15 years old and, and very little new product. Or if it is new, it's just, it's Funko Pops because they're easy. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that the downward turn of a lot of comic shops is going to drive a merger of the two. I think it's going to be the, the best of, the, of these vintage toy shops might take on a little bit more comic books type stuff. And the best of the comic shops might take on a little bit more of this toy stuff. But I don't know. Kind of like what GameStop is doing. I don't know if you have them in your area. The GameStops around here, they got rid of all the movies and a lot of the used games. They still carry the games, but now they've gotten into the collectible side of things. Yeah, they've done that on and off through the years. They just kind of take a temperature on what they think is is hot at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know how significant that is, though. I think the the question that that got put out there, it's more of, you know, obviously Transformers are going to have a home if somebody, if Hasbro decides to sell more Transformers, they're going to have a place to go. If, if Hasbro ever kicks G.I. Joe off the ground again, and we have a feeling they will, G.I. Joe's not going to hurt to get into what's out there. The name recognition is there. But yeah. let's go down a step. Let's say our, our friends over at Boss Fight, they, they've got a new product. And they do have some brick, you know, dedicated brick-and-mortar dealers but what does it take for that to be a force in the market? Where where are they at? And that's not to, to bring them down. They're a small company. They, they're run by seven, eight people. 
I don't want to make it sound like they're a failure by any stretch. The fact that they're still kicking after these five years is, is pretty damn impressive. But at the same time, we're not talking about a force in the industry kind of situation either. It's, it's not like these places are going to say, ooh, Boss Fight Studios, I need to get that stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if you want a track record, I mean, who's got a better track record than those guys? Who's got a better resume than those guys in the toy business? Nobody. No, I love I love love the boss fight guys, and I like what they've built is sustainable and growing, and they don't take orders anymore. And well, they take orders, yeah. <laughs> but they don't take <laughs> they don't have to take direction from anybody else. So I love what they've done. I think they're the they're the archetype for a small, nimble, creative, and powerful in their own way. But yeah, they're not big, and I don't think they really want to be, right? I think their their agility is their strength. And like I always told people when I was working at Hasbro, there's strength here, but it's hard to turn a battleship. Yeah, the larger the bureaucracy, the harder it is to get change affected because you have more more layers to go through. Someone like a boss fight or even a marauder, they've expanded their lineup and they've 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 expanded their offerings but they've done it very tactically and very conservatively and they and they've done it without having to go to kickstarter all the time right and i think that's that's a testament to these smaller niche companies where they but then again they're also selling to collectors you know there's there's i don't think there are a lot of kids Sadly, running around with Bucky O'Hare action figures, although every kid should be. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of kids playing with Marauder Task Force, unless unless Dad had extra and gave it to him. Right. So. Too many accessories that are, in the words of my colleague Gary Godso, pre-lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, leave Lowlights one bullet alone. That is in the pre-lost Hall of Fame. <laughs> Along with Firefly's phone, Heavy Metal's mic, what am I missing? All the silencers from those uh, oh, Pursuit God, of yes. Cobra figures. Oh, yeah. Lift Ticket's mic. Jeez. And, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the list just goes on, and it, it, that's that's just Joe. God knows. It can, I mean, any any Transformer that had removable fists back in the 80s. Oh. Yeah, that's true. I mean, one of those would be gone, guaranteed, within 60 minutes. <laughs> That leaving was... leaving Optimus to shake a nub angrily at <laughs> Guess Optimus is a lefty now. You know, it just, uh, yeah. what, what, one of the best things about if you guys remember the old Micronauts toy line is when I was a kid, my dad got me Force Commander. You know, the big uh, magnetic uh, figure where his limbs popped on. You know, his fists fired off, and for years I was terrified of losing them. But they gave you two sets of fists in the package. It's like somebody was thinking, they knew, it's like, okay, the first one's a freebie. You're going to lose one of these within minutes. (laughs) That's past being generous and just flat out into being kind. (laughs) I was a a fan of Force Commander. He was whiter than me. That's not easy. (laughs) Force Commander's a ginger, everyone. We finally figured it out. That's it. That's why he's got a helmet on. Meanwhile, Baron Cars is walking around going, you know, I got one hell of a tan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, next next news item. We're stick with Hasbro. Hasbro has laid off, as of October, an estimated 10% of their U.S. workforce, which is terrible news. 
Yeah. Naturally. And of course, this is end of October. It would have been after our October episode. I think it was actually the week after, which is how things go. We'll record this and some huge news will break the day before Thanksgiving and we will look foolish. But uh, yes, 10% of the U.S. workforce, uh, a lot of the folks that Mark knows, he, he said he's been reaching out and they, they did not survive, so to speak. I mean, obviously they, they're alive. I guess so, did yeah. not survive is a terrible choice of words. Yeah. They were killed in, <laughs> killed in Mortal Kombat in the, in the arena. I was going to say, what is this, the Hunger Games of Hasbro? Yeah. It was really, they handled it differently this time. There was uh, No one expected Shao Kahn to walk down the hallway and <laughs> finish people. And I can, and I can joke because I've obviously been there. And I don't have, I didn't have any, any specific inside knowledge about this. And I have, I have lots of friends at Hasbro still. Uh, less, I guess, than a month ago. But you feel terrible when this, when this stuff happens. And especially when it's when it's a lot of people, that day is just... I mean, every, I'm sure lots of people have been through big layoffs at their jobs. But the day when everybody's sitting around waiting to see if their phone's going to ring is just just tough. And, and you know, from a, from a Joe-specific point of view, you know, guys that people know well who are associated with the brand. Bobby Valla, who loves Joe maybe more than any of us. Definitely oh. loves, loves Steel Brigade. More than anybody, uh, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funky, but he's a Steel Brigade guy. There's no um, for taste, and right, and and Bobby's a really good friend and a guy who who never got to do as much on Joe as he wanted to. So I'm sorry that he didn't get to, you know, really wrap his hands around and and, and put some thumbprints on the brand because he's a great designer and a really good friend. And I'm sorry that he didn't get more of a more of a shot on Joe or, or when he was affiliated with Joe was when Joe just wasn't being given product to make. So I know that's, that's a frustration of his, but I am glad he got to do some things like when he gets to look back, he got to get his hands on his favorite brand. And that's, that's kind of how I look at it too. Like I didn't get to do a lot on Joe, but I got to, I got to put a thumbprint. And so in, you know, when it, when all said and done, I'll be very, very happy for that opportunity, and then, and then the other one, which is, is you know, becoming common knowledge right now, is Daryl DePriest, who you know was Hasbro's godfather of Joe for ages. Um, so it's kind of hard to imagine GI Joe moving forward at Hasbro without Daryl, but that's where we are. I, I mean, that, is... one, that was one of those where I. I... You know, I know Daryl a little bit, obviously not as well as you do from working with him, but I, I caught that a couple of weeks ago on LinkedIn, of all places. Like, I saw that, that he had attached a, an end date to his to his uh, employment time at, at Hasbro, and it, it was, I mean, it was one of those where it was surprising and it wasn't surprising. I mean, full disclosure, same thing happened to me last month. I don't work for Hasbro, obviously, but... Um, I work for a call center. We do travel and stuff. We lost our biggest client. 85% of our business went out the door. So 85% of everybody who worked there went out the door with it. And it, it was kind of a similar situation. Like, I, I was very good at my job, but there were several people who did my job, and I was the one who was paid the most. 
So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that regardless of what my performance was, I'm going to be the first one out. Parachute was on for a couple of weeks in advance. It was no big surprise. You know, it, it happens. And I, I kind of equated that with Daryl's situation, that he was a guy who had a lot of tenure, had spent you know, the better part of two decades there at Hasbro, a lot of responsibilities. Uh, you know, just even if he was going through and, and getting that 3% cost of living every year he was probably more expensive than the guy who they hired five or six years ago so it it made perfect sense in that regard you know when it just when you just have to break things down to dollars and cents and it's it's terrible you, you feel for for everybody in that set of circumstances there's a, a friend of mine uh, a designer there not not affiliated with joe at all who was you know very surprised uh that his name was on the gotta go list but he'd been there 18 years and oh, I, had lun- wow. I had lunch with him last week, and he's getting, I think, almost a full year's severance. So, for the people who've been there a long time, it's a you know no. I'm sad for anyone who who goes through that. And I'm sorry to hear about about your situation, Mike. But in in Hasbro's case, for especially for the people who've been there a long time, the parachute's pretty good. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for guys, for, I'm hopeful for everybody, but the, for the guys who've been there forever, they have a good long time to figure out what the right next move for them is. So I'm hopeful for, for my, well, lots of friends, uh, but for, you know, for Daryl specifically, crazy smart guy, and he'll have plenty of time to figure out, you know, what's best and what's right for him uh, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we feel for him. He's our friend. What else, yeah. can you, what else can you do? I think as as Joe fans, though, what what you know makes you nervous is who's uh, driving that Mobat, right? Like, <laughs> there's not a lot of people left there who have a lot of knowledge or affinity for the brand. So, it also begs the question that if it, you know, I mean, GI Joe is Hasbro's in-house brand so just from my own shoebox perspective it's a brand they don't have to pay licensing on i have a feeling we're going to see joe again someday but with all of these people that had ties to the past um and ties to the previous incarnations of joe you know being whittled down I don't think the next incarnation of G.I. Joe is going to be as recognizable as a lot of people think it will be. Mm-hmm. And I don't, when, you know, when I was, was there and, and making pitches and, and talking about it internally, I don't think Joe has, I don't think a, an honest reboot or relaunch of Joe has to be, doesn't have to be faithful to the characters or the story of the past. It just needs to be true to the spirit of the brand. Mm-hmm. And what makes me nervous as a Joe fan, because I've always been a Joe fan. I, I got lucky and got to work on the brand, but I've been a Joe fan since 82. What makes me nervous is I'm not sure who's there to fight for. I mean, it sounds corny, but the soul of G.I. Joe and because the brand hasn't been a priority in a very long time, yeah, I'm not sure who's there who's going to fight for Joe. Because obviously it, ha- it is a brand that has faced some internal resistance within those walls. 
And so it really takes somebody to, to believe in it and make a very strong case to roll that rock. And I don't know who that guy is or gal is right now. Yeah. And you, you brought up a very good point that in, in the public eye, you know, aside from two films that did okay, Joe hasn't really been a strong presence in quite a while. I mean, in terms of media support and the blitz that we had in the 80s where, you know, TV, comics, and toy shelves simultaneously. And, you know, that level of unfamiliar or that lack of familiarity is going to make it very difficult to find someone who can relate to the spirit of Joe and, and, and especially from all the eras, that was something where Daryl was kind of interesting in the fact that he was a, he was a 12 inch guy at his core, but at the same time still respected the three and three quarter, the real American hero era. Right. You know? And, and Daryl, you could see it. He put out, he got some very, very good 12 inch product made while he was there. Yeah. And it didn't resonate, and he didn't push it further than it earned. He got it out, he gave it its chance to shine, and it just didn't resonate. <clears throat> and to his credit, even though that's, like you said, the part of G.I. Joe that's closest to his heart, as a businessman and as a marketer, he realized that it just didn't resonate anymore. And that, And that's kind of a good thing in that, he put out stuff that was brilliant, that was great. And so when it didn't sell, there wasn't much to second guess. Yeah. I remember at JoeCon a couple of years ago, Springfield, I think, a fan came up to him and said, when are you going to get more 12-inch stuff done? I know you love 12-inch stuff. And the, <laughs> and the guy was really hopeful and optimistic. And Daryl was completely straight and honest with him. He said, I put out good 12-inch stuff, and it didn't sell. So when are you getting more twelve inch stuff? Probably never. Yeah. And and you know it was it was a, a body blow uh, to the fan, but he was completely honest with him. I gave you as good a twelve inch toy as as we can make, and it didn't sell. So there's your answer. That's a tricky balancing act of recognizing that just because something is your preference and you love it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else does right i work at um or you know ad agency and we have a, a president that has very definite opinions about things and he's quite a bit older than i am so when you talk media mix he has a certain idea and he has a certain style for things and we're like that's great but you have to look at who your target audience and you have to do what's going to resonate with them. And it doesn't matter if it's your preference. If your audience doesn't care about it, you know, like you said, Mark, you could put out the greatest 1-6 scale product the market has ever seen. But if that's not what the market wants, it's going straight to clearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, as, and when you're working on uh, a good example, when I was on Transformers and, and got to get the get my hands on the Generations line when it was brand new, it was exactly what I wanted to work on from a Transformers perspective, and immediately coming up was their 30th anniversary of the 1984, you know, the, the big 
arrival and i was super excited and and thought you know what we'll we'll be doing 30th anniversary stuff we'll do all that g1 first year stuff again but we'll do it better it'll be great uh the fans will love it and i had a good pitch going for it but the really salient point made back to me was well you're only going after those fans from 84 when it's a 30th anniversary if we actually celebrate all 30 years yeah. then you're giving everybody something to go after and that's where that thrilling 30 came from where we were trying to celebrate great toys and characters and events from the entire 30 year history because there were i remember clear as day one of the one of the coolest things i ever learned from the internet of, of all places was on a transformers page where a guy was uh, a beast wars fan was trumpeting how much he loved Beast Wars and how great Beast Wars was. And he was getting pounded by all the Generation 1 fans. Like he was, but he was loud and proud and, and uh, standing up for it and getting, uh, getting tetherballed a little bit. And uh, he wrote back, finally, he said, I understand why the G1ers love G1 because it was the U.S. introduction. It was your debut to your welcome to the world of Transformers. And that's great. But I'm 20 years old or whatever at the time, he said. So my introduction was Beast Wars. And nothing will ever mean Transformers to me more than Beast Wars does. And I'm like, you know what? Even though I wasn't a big fan of Beast Wars because I was in college and Truck Not Monkey and all that. But <laughs> I was wondering if that would come up. But, but the, guy, the guy made such a good point. I love three and three-quarter Joe because that's what – that's what I fell in love with. But for people who, who are 12 inch show fans, cause that's their thing. Great. Or the, 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 the poor saps who love super Joe. Okay. <laughs> cool. All seven was, of them. Actually that was Joe, but, uh, I get that different people love different things. And I think that was a testament to Daryl, as you said, was he didn't let what he loved about Joe taint what, he made for the collectors and for the fans. So, Mark, you, you mentioned a, a second ago, and I, I hate to go off topic like this, and, and certainly don't, if this is something that, that I don't want to cross a line, basically. Um, no, that's why we can edit it out. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the <laughs> magic of, of podcasting. Yeah, no, but, seriously, ask me anything. If I can't answer, I won't. But you, you mentioned that I Joe is a brand that has some internal resistance at Hasbro. And on this show, I know we've talked about that without, without somebody who had their ears in the building. Do you know why that was the case? I think... Where did this uh, resistance come from? What, what was it rooted in? I think, I think my perspective on it isn't, isn't especially uh, different because I was in the room, you know, so to speak, a little bit at least. The, I think the problems with G.I. Joe as a modern brand are, I mean, I think there's three you can point to pretty clearly. People are very careful about the military part of it, right? And the Cobra itself has to be completely redefined. You know, when we were, when it was 82, they actually referred to them as a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And that that flew in '82 because planes that were getting hijacked were in Libya, and it didn't happen here. But you know, it does happen here now. 
So the the need to redefine Cobra and military not being the slam dunk that it once was. It's it's the same reason, you know, that Joe became Adventure Team around the Vietnam War backlash. Military for kids isn't as easy a sell as it once was. So there's that. I think the, you know, G.I. Joe being rooted in a real American hero is a problem for a brand that, I mean, every brand that Hasbro or Mattel or anybody owns, you want to sell globally. So there's a real careful line you have to walk with G.I. Joe. If it's, if it's ever going to be big again, it won't be U.S. branded. I mean, you saw some of that with the movies where they tried to, you know, scrub the flag off of Joe a little bit. And so you got to be really careful how you do that to appeal to a global audience. It can't be a real American hero anymore. And yet, if you're totally open about the, ripping the stripes off of G.I. Joe, you're going to offend a lot of the diehard fans who believe that it's what Joe always has been and what Joe always should be. So that's two of the points. And then, and you know, somewhat not to get political, but... The United States is not as popular globally as we once were. So I think there's there's a couple things that work against the brand, at least against the brand DNA as we've known it. So to fully relaunch Joe, you'd have to make some significant changes to the actual DNA of the brand. And I think people are very wary of that for something that has, because it hasn't had mainstream push in so long, the the fan, the existing fan base for Joe is really just the diehards now. And so if you're going to try to reboot it and change some things that have always been intrinsic to the brand, it's a bit of a risk. And sometimes it's just easier to buy Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I suppose. I, my own observations are is that despite not having a continued push for, well, since well, retaliation would have been 2012, 13? 13, 13. 13, I think. It was going to be 2012. Yeah, it was supposed to be 2012, then, then it wasn't. But, yeah. um, you know, despite not. Every time Joe has made its little blip on the radar since then. It threatens to catch on like a house on fire. Like, everybody everybody remembers, oh, knowing is half the battle. Oh, there's Duke, there's Snake Eyes. Oh, hey, this is great. And then it, as quick as it shows up, it goes away. Yeah. So yeah. You, while you're right, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm healed in that a little bit too as far as the marketing aspect of things. It's always a gamble when you put out a new product. I just always felt like G.I. Joe was a, was a much safer gamble than most of what comes along it's just these these brands that are that are being sold to us now it's the same brands that were being sold to us 20 and 30 years ago it's tough to crack that club Mm -hmm. and gi joe's got that cachet and so i've never quite understood why that's the one that's that's always hesitated on when you know obviously yeah there's gonna there's gonna need to be some changes made everything needs to adapt everything goes stale and, and needs to get refreshed it's it's not to say that you know, Transformers has been around for close to 35 years now. Obviously, it's refreshed pretty significantly several times over the course of that run. 
G.I. Joe has been no different to this point. It's refreshed several times over the course of this run. Uh, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm consistently confused by what seems to be, I don't know, it just seems like a big misread of, of people's want to see that property. Right. No, and I agree with you um, on every level there. And I was I was a strong proponent of Joe. Even before I worked on Joe, they would have idea fairs at Hasbro once in a while where you could make a pitch. And my first year there, I pitched how to let's fix G.I. Joe and uh, made a big presentation. I put a ton of work into it and, and thought I'd done really well. And then the prize at the end is whoever wins the grand prize gets their thing greenlit and it gets made and i'm like well here's the opportunity and so i made the pitch and they gave out a bunch of awards you know best presentation you know, not just the winner but a bunch of other miscongeniality type awards and i got <laughs> nothing out of it and i was a little crestfallen because I, I thought i'd done a, a tremendous job and one of the higher ups uh at the event pulled me aside and said, I don't want you to be discouraged because I think you did a great job here, and I think your plan's viable, but it requires new animation, and they are not spending new animation money on Joe right now. Now, that was fall of 2012, so that's hardly even relevant today, but it kind of shows where Joe was, at least in the pecking order back then. Also not helping was that you put gung-ho in assless chat. Right? That didn't uh, help things at all. He put gung ho in the line. I'm just I think happy I, to see that. That that just made me uh ahead of the uh I was reading the comic stories, I guess, ahead of time or something. <laughs> is that too soon? Nah. Alright, fair enough. What nah. what's funny is you you were Mark, you mentioned that they were hesitant to do animation for G.I. Joe, and yet Transformers has had how many animated series in the last, oh, five, six years? Yeah, absolutely. And, but again, Transformers had a theatrical push behind it as well. You know, it, it's... And Transformers is a brand that it's just a term. It's not tied to a military. It's not tied to a gender Right. It's whatever you want it to be. It just it tra- at its core, Transformers is a brand about something that changes from one form to another. Yeah, and I lo- and I love both brands. They were you know the two things closest to my heart as a kid. But one, if you when you hold them up and put them both uh, you know under the light bulb at the same time, Transformers has a global reach that Joe can't even yeah. begin to scratch. And I almost not not that he couldn't, and that was part of my push on Joe was done right. There's no reason GI Joe can't be a global brand. It's just never been, you know, appropriately pitched as such. I almost wonder if the next incarnation of Joe, as we've been talking about, because again, it's an in-house brand. It it would be stupid for them to just let it die a hundred percent forever despite what the email that we all received this past week said but that wasn't um, from hasbro no (laughs) but i almost wonder if the next incarnation of it will drop or de-emphasize the gi heavy right you know because i mean even we you know when you say joe like you said joe to me almost implies adventure team Right. You know, it's a bunch of guys or it's a bunch of individuals. The other thing with the name is that it's got a strong male connotation right in the name. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, you know, and again, we're in an era where things are less a boy's line and less a girl's line as much as they are just a brand now. Yeah, I wonder how much the GI part of Joe, though, is is associated with U.S. In that it's, you know, I mean, it's a U.S. term, obviously, yeah. but it's government issue. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't say what government, right? I that mean, was... That was always my kind of idea. No, it's not my idea, but something I liked about a potential rebrand brand of Joe was if they're actually banding together against the worst in the world, against enemies that are that are enemies of lots of countries, then why wouldn't it be the very best of all the world's military brought yeah. together? I think there's something there. I really do, but it was... In my experience at Hasbro, it was really hard. I was never in a position to be to make that pitch on my own, not beyond idea fairs, right? And I never found that middle man or middle woman who was willing to wave the flag that hard to senior management, the Joe flag. Sure. I never, I never found that. And if I never found that guy or gal then... I don't even know if there's a guy, if there's a me there now to approach that next level of management to try to get senior management to consider giving Joe a second shot. So, and that's not, I'm not trying to, to pub myself up as being any, any more special than Neil Hoffman or anyone else who loved the brand when they were there. I just think there's a, there is a frustrating, what I believe is a reality that I don't know who's fighting for Joe beyond anything, you know, movie related. If there's a movie, there will be toys, but it, will there be anything after movie toys? I don't know who's there who would fight for that right now. And the next movie is if it happens, um, still dubious, but was a snake eyes, idea film we'll and you notice it's not gi joe snake eyes it's snake eyes nick cage oh, oh he went there i'd watch that well yeah i would too actually there, there's <laughs> a serious train wreck potential there you'd have to watch that oh how could you not anyways we'll, we'll discuss Draft that House. in detail in a moment we'll move on to the next next point on the growth side of things they have entered a licensing agreement with L.A.-based Kilburn Live to open new family fun facilities across the U.S. and Canada. I've got a copy of the press release that they put out pulled up. It looks like it came out November 13, so not too, too long ago, about this time last week. Los Angeles-based Kilburn Live has entered into a licensing agreement with Hasbro, a global play and entertainment company, to create, build, and operate Hasbro-themed family entertainment centers across the U.S. and Canada. The indoor family entertainment facilities will take iconic Hasbro brands and create interactive, immersive, and entertainment experiences in a high-energy, gamified environment with multiple activity zones. And the thing that stuck out at me the most is that... Gamified is not a word. If you, can't play, if you can't play it on words with friends, it yeah, is not a word. It is not a word. It looks like gamified. Ooh, now that's a twist. Which is, that'll, have some, that'll have some legs. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that was my joke. Damn. Ah, we edited it back. 
No, <laughs> no. I mean, it's in there you now. do it. You do it. I'll be quiet, like all the other jokes from earlier. No, no, no. I, it, I'm glad. I, I'm glad that that exchange happened. <laughs> now I, I gotta talk. say, what makes me more excited than anything else about this is indoor family fun. Yeah, let's get somewhere that all redheads can go. Yes. <laughs> Have a good time. No vitamin D for you. You'll be fine. You'll get it in the water-soluble tablets they give you at the door. <laughs> this sounds to me like it's a chain of Monkey Joes. I don't know if you guys have those where you live, yeah. but it sounds like it's like Monkey Joes with Hasbro brands, as opposed to a toy store like Hasbro Toy Shop. So you know, I guess all the skee ball prizes are going to be Hasbro brands. Well, it says current license brands include the well-known franchises. Or include well-known franchises, including, and this is the, the uh, press release, which is the, the only reason I'm even bringing it up, but it's, it is listed this way in the press release, including My Little Pony, Monopoly, Mr. Potato Head, G.I. Joe, Clue, Baship, Hungry Hungry Hippos, Trivial Pursuit, Shoots and Ladders, and others. Not uh, one mention of Transformers. Yes, that was the, the other notable part of it. One was that G.I. Joe was there at all. And the second was that Transformers is not there at all, and I think it's because that event contract that they signed with that other company precludes them from including Transformers, as would be my guess. It's also possible that all of those brands are fully Hasbro-owned. Yeah. So, and yeah. You know, pe- people forget sometimes when they're talking about Hasbro-owned brands that Transformers isn't fully owned it's by true. Hasbro. That's a that's a Takara partnership and a very comfortable partnership and a long time you know, successful partnership, but they don't, Transformers is not the same as Joe or Nerf or Pony. I was going to say the big gun of that list in terms of kids, to my eyes, is My Little Pony. Yes. And then, of course, Trivial Pursuit. Yes. (laughs) Get, get, Get your pie square. I mean, I get why Hasbro is licensing properties to this because something to get kids to recognize their brands. And they seem to be shifting to this entertainment company mode and or um, in a licensing mode, but I don't know if this is the way to do it. Clue? You know, it's, it's it, a zero risk situation for them. Yeah, yeah that's true. A, that's exactly it's, it's a licensing thing. You know, yeah, they got no skin in the game. You're yeah, right. The, Unless they're doing like escape rooms for kids, you're not going to see any clue stuff in there. That's just a li- that's just a listing of owned brands. Yeah, and your partner will choose the ones that make sense, and off they go. Like you said before, you know, maybe you can buy Clue games with whatever you win in tickets off the skee ball yeah. machine, but you know, it's not it's not going to be you know dodgeball with Professor Plum. <laughs> You're not your official <laughs> Colonel Mustard can. <laughs> But I don't know any other Clue characters, by the way. Mark exhausted one of the two I knew. Isn't there a Miss Scarlet? Right? We yeah. can't miss, you know. Crap, that's, I haven't. That's as Joe as it gets, I think. <laughs> I was going to say, Shen O'Hare has fallen on hard times and is hey, chilling for Clue now. Look, man. <laughs> this Scarlet in the Terradrome with the crossbow. <laughs> but again, they, they don't have a whole lot. They get to sit back and collect a check from this Kilburn group and whatever. If it works, it works. It, and if it doesn't work, well, they get to pictures with some happy kids next to their characters that they can use in publicity stills for, for decades to come. 
I think the, the, the biggest shock was I didn't know what Craig Kilborn was doing. So <laughs> for him. I saw it, and all I kept thinking was the Marvel character Killmonger, and I went, "Well, that's wrong." Yeah. <laughs> he's 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 rough and he's tough and he kills, but he loves the kids. He loves the kids. Absolutely, <laughs> he's Wakanda he's, forever. He's a softy. <laughs> Next, I've got one last little bit about them potentially leaving Pawtucket, Rhode Island. They're looking at options in potentially Providence or Los Angeles or. Maybe someplace that they haven't. This is from the Providence Journal on November 7. For several months, city officials have been talking with Hasbro executives about the future of the world's second largest toy company and whether its roughly 1,200 local jobs remain where the toy company has been headquartered for almost a century. But on Wednesday, Mayor Donald Grebian sure, called for an, quote, urgent cooperative effort by state officials to prevent any... Ch- of Hasbro leaving and unleashing another economic blow to his city. Grebian conceded, though, that he still didn't know what the company's intentions were, despite some tours of the city properties with Hasbro execs. Quote, They have told us what direction they're moving. It changes. They're a private company and play it very close to the vest. So this isn't getting a whole lot of national attention. This is a huge deal for Rhode Island, like Mark is. Yep. So... Mark, why don't you fill us in a little bit? What's going on here? We're pretty sure, and it's hard to you know be I you know completely locked down on this, but the general feeling out here is that it's all Kurt Schilling's fault. So blame him for a lot of stuff. <laughs> there, I don't know. There has been strong room. Hasbro might be moving around, and there's been lots of locations bandied about. I mean, I worked in that office for five years, and. It's a little space. So, you know, they they split off and they revamped the Providence office uh, while I was there. And it's very and slick and, and cool. But the Pawtucket office is, is all, was always considered headquarters while I was there. So, I don't know. It's It's been there so long. And you know Rhode Island is going to be, you know, hell-bent to keep them in Rhode Island. If they're leaving Pawtucket, that's one thing. Rhode Island, that's something else. I mean, this is not just, you know, the Green Monster Games or, or whatever, you know, Schilling's company was called. It's a, is still a fresh wound. And then, the you know, something that's, that's really stinging is the upcoming loss of the Pawtucket Red Sox, where they're moving up to I don't know, somewhere, somewhere north, closer to Boston, but they're only here for a couple more years. So there has been uh, job attrition and, and attraction attrition if you're talking about the Paw Sox. So they really, really, really don't want them to leave Rhode Island. If they're leaving, one thing. But if they're actually leaving the state, I think that's a, that's a really big blow to a, you know a very small state. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I have no inside knowledge on this at all. Just... I know, you know, I have my finger on the pulse of what the state is thinking, at least a little bit. At least a little bit more than the other two guys who don't live here. So not being in Pawtucket, I mean, it's, it's a bit, I mean, it's an old building, but it's iconic. And it's hard, would be hard to imagine and seeing Mr. Potato Head on that corner. But Part of me wonders... Um... You know, I, I live in near Peoria, Illinois, which is the was the headquarters of Caterpillar Tractor Company, 
which, you know, Fortune 50 and all that. And Kat had been in Peoria going on close to 100 years. And last year, Caterpillar moved just the senior leadership. So they took maybe a thousand total jobs, the senior leadership and their support staff, and they moved them up to the Chicago suburbs down the street from where Walgreens is in Deerfield now. And they left all the support, you know, all the proving grounds and the engineers and all that. I want, but they just moved the leadership and didn't want to not live in Chicago. And part of me wonders, would this, I mean, it, are they talking about just moving the top, you know, the suite to greener pastures uh, as they're trying to become more of an entertainment company? Or is this a full on, you know, we're taking everything that was in Pawtucket out of Pawtucket now? Right. I mean, there has been a push over the over the years to get more of the entertainment driven brands uh, more headquartered out of their Burbank office, which is refurbished and, and lovely. And and it makes sense that you would want your Power Ranger team in L.A. You would want your Pony team in L.A. and and that sort of thing. So, you know, there certainly has been some, you know, skates a little bit inside Hasbro as to where, where should most people be located. I just find it hard to believe that that they'd be at Pawtucket, but that's just because that's where they've been. So, like yeah. you said with with Gat, it, just because it's been there forever doesn't mean that it's the right place for it. So, you know, I could, could I see it happening? Yeah, I could totally see it happening. You know, am I am I expecting that ten twenty seven Newport Drive to not be Asbro? It's still kind of a hard thing to imagine. Mm. But as far as toy wise, like if you aren't, if you don't work there or live or live here, like I do, I don't think it. I don't think it affects the collector. Yeah, no, no, uh, or the fan. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. But it's still an interesting sidebar on, I guess, the human condition portion of the story. You know. Yeah, Mark is the largest employer in the Providence Pawtucket area. Not anymore. (laughs) Well, (laughs) hey. Oh, zing! Too soon? Okay. <laughs> Gingers have no souls, people! Right. Well, I almost earlier, when, when Mike was reading from the article, when an employer of 1,200 people, I'm how how recent is that? <laughs> and again, I can make that, because I heard the knock, too. So, I like to think I was a bit of a trendsetter, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, ahead of the curve and out on the curb, but <laughs> I, I don't know if they're the they're the largest. They're definitely one of the largest. Okay. So they're they're a big deal. So I mean, the, the reason why the second biggest you know toy company is located in Rhode Island is because this is where the Hassenfeld brothers were. You know, this is their backyard. Hasbro started here and stayed here for all those years but with i mean it's not their company anymore so who knows all right next news item the new gi joe movie as fred discussed a few moments ago was confirmed by paramount a couple weeks back as a snake eyes movie not a gi joe movie per se but definitely a ninja commando with a visor in a black suit, Snake Eyes movie. Not a terribly big shock here. I mean, Snake Eyes, 
for all of the uh, the arguments about maybe Duke or or maybe uh, since retaliation Roadblock because he was played by The Rock. This brand, as it exists in pop culture, it lives and dies with Snake Eyes. Yeah, I, I don't think you can you can argue that convincingly otherwise. So. If a reboot is in the cards, and starting with your best foot forward, as as this would be, it's not only not surprising, it also makes a lot of sense just from a, a, a narrative perspective. You, you get Snake Eyes established, he's your big hero, he's your number one guy, and then you can maybe fill in with a part two when all of his buddies join up and go from there. So, any thoughts on Snake Eyes from you guys? It'll be a silent film. Yeah! Oh! That's not a dick joke, though. You got to try harder. <laughs> Personally, I kind of have Snake Eyes fatigue anymore. I liked it better when he was more mysterious. So I think don't make it an origin film for the love of God. Just don't do it. They're going to have to pair him up with someone simply because you need this uh, perspective, you need that audience relatable character. And a masked mute ninja warrior is kind of a little off-putting i mean you'll root for him but it's hard to relate to that and you, you don't really know what he's going to be thinking because you know but i don't know it'll be interesting Nin- ninjas you know were a big part of the brand at the end are about as far away as you can get from the hardcore military aspect and you know more into the fantasy side of things so see I'm yeah gonna... I, Go ahead. I agree with, with i agree with every bit of that and I equate times with, with Star Wars fans who hate on episode one because it was so, you know, such a disappointment and because fans waited so long to get a new Star Wars movie and then it wasn't what they'd hoped for. But you get, get fans who would say episode one was straight garbage. No. I'd say, really, I'd say really, you didn't like Darth Maul? Right? It's, yeah. You know, it's just easy to say, oh, they were garbage. And nobody was, no Joe fans were thrilled with the first two movies. But by and large, lips aside, they pretty much got Snake Eyes right. Yeah, his second costume was, I thought, pretty awesome. Yeah. Ray Park could move in it, and it still had all the same elements, but it didn't look, it looked plausible. Yeah, they, they did a fantastic job with his character design for Retaliation. See, I, I actually, I go the other way. In the giant soap opera that is G.I. Joe, the Snake Eyes origin story is a core piece of it. It's going on at the very beginnings of the team. It's where the seeds are planted in that time frame. A lot of casual fans know, and they know G.I. Joe, they don't know that origin story. If you're going to have a franchise, that's a great place to build your franchise. You so, know, the thing about his origin from the comics, and I, as soon as you're saying that, Mike, it just hit me. First revealed to us in 26 and 27, he was not the one telling us his origin. No. And I think that's the reason it worked, is Snake Eyes is a character who, the only time he actually really speaks, and I don't count the the one time he mouths Scarlet is in the final issue when he writes the letter to yeah. Sean Collins. Yeah, every so um, often he would write something down and you would get get a, a look inside of his head. Issue four, right. issue four was a lot of notes to yeah. back to way at the beginning of the but a little but bit I, of an idea what the voice was, but that that is a big part. Again, if you do the origin, it work best if it's told to you. 
and there's a lot of great characters that even when they were telling the story in the comic that picked up various pieces yes. of that story. Scarlet mm-hmm. told part of the story. Stalker told part of the Stalker. story. Stalker. Uh, Hawk told Rock and part Roll of the story. eventually. Rock, rock yeah. and Roll told part. You know, Rock and Roll and Snake Eyes were were pretty tight as far as things went. He wasn't one of those inner circle kind of guys, but as far as after that that Storm Shadow Scarlet Stalker bunch, Rock and Roll was probably next on the list. So there's lots of, of great voices in a major motion picture who can then be brought in to another picture as right. the rest of the So I, I think it's a fantastic place to start. I'm, I, I can see it working, and I want it to work. I really, really do. But I agree with Fred a little bit, and I equate Snake Eyes a lot with Wolverine and the X-Men. Yes. In that they're actually... They're most compelling when you don't know much about them and when they aren't the focus of every damn story. Yep. So I want Date Your Past in the comic. You don't see Wolverine for ages. And then he drops in midway through and you're like, hot damn, Wolverine, here we go. <laughs> He's an event. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and similarly with, with Snake Eyes. So, you know, I... I, that's one of my few concerns about it, and I think it's, just, it's okay to have some legitimate concerns about it, is if he is front and center, is that actually too much? I want him peering suddenly in the raid, and you're like, damn, here's Snake Eyes! Yeah. It becomes a moment as opposed to two hours of Snake Eyes. Is that is that actually too much? Darth Maul would not have been nearly as interesting if we got the Darth Maul solo origin movie and then we got Phantom Menace. Yeah, but that's right. that's not the same thing. Like Darth Maul, no matter how what way you slice same, it. Same Darth guy, is, though. I, sure, <laughs> but Darth Maul is not the number one guy in the Star Wars universe. Okay, well then, I guess Wolverine is, is a perfect example. Yeah, or, or Boba Fett. Yeah. Why is Boba Fett enduringly cool? Because you didn't get you didn't get much of him. You didn't know anything about him. There's so few characters that hit that. I mean, especially now with you know the proliferation of screens and content, there's so few characters that leave you wanting more. Because you know, if people, if Daryl becomes the hit of Walking Dead. You know the sleeper hit the the dark horse. You're gonna get a ton more Daryl moving forward, and we sure did, right? Mm-hmm. Like those guys. There's very few characters that leave you wanting more anymore. And I think for for the Joe Brand long term, you would want to embrace that rarity almost with the size character. I understand why they're not doing it, yeah. See, I, but I think. And again, this I'm is me with you from long term. Yeah, I'm with you from a real in depth in the trenches fan perspective. That's what we are. I'm taking a step back, and I know that they can put out another couple of Batman movies, and people will still go see the Batman movies. Even the terrible Batman movies, people went and saw the terrible Batman movies. Why? Because it had Batman. You have to do a Snake Eyes centric movie, and maybe he's the number one guy in every GI Joe thing going forward after that right but snake eyes's origin story is kind of the gi joe origin story it's it's happening at the same time and and it, it kind of 
colored some of the details in tangentially, but that was really the great part of that story, was that it wasn't just Snake Eyes' origin. There was stuff going on in the background that set up everything else that happened in that book. So if you do a movie the same way, where it's his story, yes, but the stuff that's going on in the background is setting the framework up for everything else that you do with G.I. Joe and the theaters going forward. I don't see how that doesn't draw in at least some interest. You know, if you do it yeah, well, it could be a bit I think that's, that's a good point. Paramount's perspective, what kept Retaliation from being as big a hit as they wanted it to be was that they lost the cash lockup. Oh yeah, GI Joe, cool. You see it in the in the North American box office numbers. That was strong for the first movie, but the first movie was so disappointing to pretty yeah. much everybody that when movie two came around, they tried very hard to make it more global, and it did much better overseas than Joe than the first Joe movie did than Rise of Cobra. But they lost the walk-up North American audience. They kept the diehards, but let, I mean the diehards are coming regardless. Yeah. But that walk-up fan they lost, and going to try to get him back, there's no safer bet than Snake Eyes. So I, I get it. I do. I just, I just worry a little bit about whether that's actually going to be the right move long-term. The tricky thing, too, is, Mike, what you were saying about going with the origin story, if... There was a Kevin Feige-esque person who was gatekeeping, let's say, a burgeoning G.I. Joe franchise or a burgeoning Hasbro cinematic universe and was, was basically keeping a handle on all these pieces, then I would trust that they could do an origin and do some foreshadowing that would then be picked up in subsequent films. The danger of trying to do the origin and not having that person who's who's really making certain that all the pieces fit is that you could set something up and then it's going to almost end or altered or recast for the second one because oh the you know the actor that we threw in to be the stalker character oh crap we didn't sign him to a multi film so we have to recast that for the next film. I'd like to point out before it's lost that Feige esque. Is also not a word. <laughs> that is correct. The, the the other thing I was coming back to too is um, how would the Snake Eyes movie be gamified? <laughs> I enjoyed Spider Man Homecoming, and oh. one of the reasons I enjoyed it is in the MCU they haven't told Spider Man's origin. True. They they hinted at it, and it, I mean, we all know it. I mean, Uncle Ben can only die so many times on screen. There are still some younger fans who didn't see Spider-Man's origin play out in front of them. They were told that he lost his uncle, but they didn't have to show it. It's something we had talked about earlier, you know, implying but not actually showing. When I was a kid in 82, Snake Eyes became one of my favorite figures solely from the card where all his information was classified. Right. And I just, you know, to me... There was something awesome about that. We couldn't see his skin color up up until the, seeing the comics. I didn't know if he was black, white, Native American, Asian, what have you, Middle Eastern, head to toe in black. And there was some there was this awesome sense of mystery about him. So a couple of ways they could do it. I don't know what the right way is, 
And and you have a good point, is that for the casual viewer, would they watch a movie where someone's actions are defining them more than the backstory? I don't know. There's a really interesting parallel there that you just made between Snake Eyes and Spider-Man, because there's a reason Spider-Man resonates globally in a way that Batman and Superman and the other luminary not. Because under that mask, he could be anybody. Any kid can put on a Spider-Man mask around the world and feel like he is Spider-Man in a way they can't be Superman just visually, right? Or even yeah. Batman. Batman's got that chin. I mean, he's a great chin, but it kind of <laughs> shows it kind of shows who he is. And so that's another thing to be careful about with Snake Eyes. If you get if you get to an origin story that is pre-mask, you're going to show him to us. And real careful in the comics not to do too much to show that face because that's, you know, I mean, we kind of know what he looked like, but that's part of what makes him awesome. Going to a global audience and they're leading with snake eyes, the more limiting it is. Yeah, I, I think once you get past the origin itself and he is snake eyes, the less the issue. Like, there's no reason to have him running around with a, with a mask off at any point. Spider-Man's got his mask off all the time, whether it's Peter Parker or Miles Morales. Yeah. You almost see him sitting there with the costume on, holding the mask in his hand, as you do with him on anymore. I think, ultimately, the parallel to Boba Fett is the best parallel. And the difference is, when they gave it an origin to Snake Eyes, they hit it out of the park. Great story. Yeah. You understood what made the guy tick. You still had that mysterious allure in that way to communicate that was not incredibly involved. But whereas with Boba Fett, when they filled in those blanks, it just kind of chunked along. So I I think so long as they they stick to the actual story that was laid out in the comics by by Larry Hama 30-some years ago, that's a great story. Yeah, and I think you can. I think you just update the military conflict that he's involved in. Sure. And, yeah. and, it, and it still works fine. And similarly with that, with the Wolverine tie, when they told us more about where Wolverine came from, it didn't make him any better. It didn't make him cooler. It made him less cool. In fact, Emma was writing Wolverine, and he wrote a hugely long run of Wolverine's solo series. A lot of the things that we think of from Wolverine's, you know, Weapon X backstory era, a lot of that comes from Larry's writing. Larry would write these little flashbacks with Wolverine, but then he would he would turn around and be like, well, we don't know if that was a memory engram or not. We don't know if that's a real memory. Mm-hmm. And it actually was more interesting because you never truly knew what was real and what was Weapon X having, you know, basically played with his mind and done things to try to pacify him and... And as Mark said, once we got, once Paul Jenkins penned Wolverine Origins, he wasn't nearly as interesting anymore because that was the mystery of the characters. He didn't know where from. And once you reveal it, it, nothing that they would reveal was ever going to be as interesting as, you know, as as J.J. Abrams talks about the mystery box, you know, what's in the box? Well, I don't don't show it. Because what's in the box is always going to be way better if you're projecting into it than anything that they could definitively state. Unless it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh! What's in the box? Wow, this got graphic. Hey. 
<laughs> Brought to you by Head and Shoulders Shampoo. <laughs> Let me just add to comics in the '90s suck. <laughs> yeah, once you got past early '90s, it was pretty rough. Yeah, it, no, they were terrible. They were terrible. A lot of pouches. Ugh. Oh, the Liefeld syndrome. Just not good. Just terrible. I'm surprised we have comic books at all these days because of the damage well, that the '90s did. Well, they do if you look yeah, at the exactly. numbers. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. next news item: GI Joe Collectors Club previews. I know Fred's been waiting for this all night. But we finally have a look at the final 12. Zartan and the Cold, Sliv- Sl- cold Slither bite. <laughs> the Cold Sliver? Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Mm. And the, the three-pack of Night Stalkers. So we'll start with what's probably the most palatable offering, the Zartan. He's got a, a remake of, what was, that, what was that thing called when they put it out the first time? The G.I. Joe Trooper head? Oh, the dooms! The doom cycle. Thank you. The big, the big wheel. The big. <laughs> and the doom cycle is fine. The I like the way Zartan turned out. That's pretty neat. Yeah, he is. The, the club's had a couple home runs the last couple of years. We'll we'll have to give credit where credit's due. Heart wrencher and the dreadnought stinger was one. This is definitely another one along the same lines. It's not quite as good as that other one, but uh, the Zartan figures is pretty darn cool. And that justifies the, the, the tag on that one a little bit to, to get a hold of that one. Any other discussion points on Zartan? Any thoughts there? Really surprised, instead of the Doom Cycle, and I don't know if the molds just aren't available, that they didn't take the RAM and give us the Dreadnought RAM to go with the four-wheel drive from the previous year. That would have been so awesome. As far as I know, I think that RAM mold is available, so and, uh, I and think it's viable. That Zartan build, we talked about him earlier, that was Bobby Valla did um, a lot of that, and the Retaliation Trooper head, this is like the one time you can use that Mohawk head perfectly. And it's he doesn't have the 80s, you know, you know, six-inch Mohawk. He has a more realistic high and tight. But the spirit of Zartan is still there. Give out gun and a compound bow is just badass. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think everybody recognizes this is not just one of the best club figures this year, but one of the best club builds. Yeah, it's a yeah. fantastic figure. Yeah. It is one of the, one of their best offerings. Full stop. Yeah, bar none. It suffers a little bit price wise when you think that the Dreadnought four wheel drive was sixty five dollars, and this is eighty six. That's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. To a certain extent, I'm willing to look the other way on it. Obviously, the club's position is different in that there's that much less time that they're able to sell product. Things are, are, our position with China is different than it was even just a short time ago, Mm -hmm. which makes costs uh, a little bit more prohibitive. I get all of that. So 80 odd, okay, sure. I'm not happy, but for something that's that cool... I'm willing to forgive that one for something that's executed that well. I think as collectors, when you have to pay more than you want to for something that's amazing, that is a pill we can all swim. It's It's when there's something that you have defined, like I have to have anything Tiger Force 
or Ninja Force or whatever, and then something comes along that you don't like artistically, but your own collector rules force you to have to buy it. <laughs> Those are the ones that that. Sing. And so I don't, I don't think anything this uh, impressive has that much sting. You either collect it or you don't, and everybody defines their own collection. Having to have something that's nice, uh, that's not going to sting long term. Next up was the Night Stalker pack. Again, not a whole lot to discuss here. Yeah. It's, it's basically the Fem Troopers three pack redone in black. With different arms. Different arms. Yay. I will say it was nice to get a non-Caucasian trooper. Yeah. I like that. The gear is a little different this time. I think they did as good a job with that as they could. You can't make I it hope too that, different, can you? I hope the helmet better. Yeah. That, that was a disappointment on the first ones, and I ended up just using them without the helmets. Um, they don't fit super well. Um, but, you know, again, that's it's easy enough to take an accessory on and just not, you know, that that's a personal thing. Mark, any thoughts on the three-pack? Yeah, I think anytime you have troop builders in a multi, multi-pack, it's a good thing. So, I, I, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. And I, I like, I've always, it was always my stance when I collected, when I was a Joe collector before I joined Hasbro. You know, my feeling on a lot of the club stuff was, I'm going to have to say no. And then once in a while, something would come out like the Night Forcer on a flak. And I, Steeler's my guy. So did I drop, you know, a hundred plus on that? Yes, I did because I had to have it. But that's kind of my whole mindset on collecting and why I like it is that everyone defines their own. So if it's, if it's something you have to have, then go buy it. And if it isn't, and, but to make, you know, what looks like pretty good troop builders and you get three of them together. Great. And then the people who want it will get it. And the people who don't. And I realize that's the coldest take ever, <laughs> as in terribly insightful or interesting, but that's how I was looked at it. If you have to, go get it. And if you don't, then don't. I think the audience for the Night Stalkers is probably a little smaller than for the, it was for the uh, the blue shirts, just because the blue shirts are the classic Cobra Trooper. So a female set of blue shirts is something that was going to have wider appeal. Yeah. Um, oh, well- uh, Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. uh, Not to interrupt as I interrupt. (laughs) I I do want to make sure I say thrilled that they have the bandana over their nose and mouth. Because if you remember, I was a bit responsible for a Cobra officer that came out from Hasbro that didn't have that over her. (laughs) And I fought that so hard and lost. So what was up with that? Cobra... Uh, creative disagreement between marketing and design where one of us wanted it to be accurate to the brand and the other one didn't care. You know what's so. funny is I just took that to be that she was a named character because, you know, named characters typically aren't masked. Well, right. there, there's exceptions, obviously. Copperhead, Wild Weasel. But a lot of them, when you see their face in Cobra, they're an individual. When you don't see their face, they're just a trooper. I think we want, I think design wise, they really wanted it to be specific to that episode where the Cobra officer puts the moves on Destro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Destro and you starts see, to put the moves on that Cobra officer. Yeah, well, depending on your perspective, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I mean that's that's one episode of a television show. I think it's I thought it was a big mistake, and I push I fought that one hard win. So, but it just remind, just occurred to me when we talked about the Night Stalkers that that still bothers me. So, we get that apology out there. I'm sorry we didn't get a proper looking bandana on the officer. I'm sure our own Joe Colton will will accept that apology. I was hell bent that I was going to fix that down the road. I just kind of ran out of time. I'm sure that uh, she will appreciate me taking the opportunity to remind her that the mass-produced femme trooper does not look like her. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was still one of the... I'll still remember when we got to show that off uh, in the panel at JoeCon and hearing the the finest go nuts in the back of the room when we showed that <laughs> off for the first time. Again, doesn't look like Joe Colton. Not one bit. Yeah, not not real close. I'm gonna get put. And if I if I put a bandana on it, then she credibly could have said, "See, you can you can tell in the eyes." I'm uh, I'm gonna get punched in the throat for that one, probably legit. So. <laughs> you, were, you were gonna get punched in the throat regardless. So Man. no, no, she's all talk. But I think I've crossed a line here. <laughs> Cast iron turtlenecks, Mike. Cast iron turtlenecks. She she is all all bluster, but I I think I crossed a line on that one. So moving on, the final twelve. And oh my, the final 12. I remember when they were listed off, a couple I had some mild interest in. The Viper, maybe Falcon. And then they were going to be in two packs, which meant the ones that I was interested in were going to get packaged up. I wasn't necessarily interested in. So Dodger, eh, whatever. And I was still thinking, well, maybe I'll get Falcon because that road pig was a was a great build, and if they're just going to redo that in those funky Ninja Force colors or Sonic Commanders colors, whatever, that's that's fine. He can, I, I can deal with Neon Road Pig. He's that's enough of a conversation starter that it's it's okay. And <laughs> and then they were ninety six dollars for a two pack. Butter and they changed the legs. So, Fred Meyer, your thoughts? Oh. I gave up being a completionist a long time ago. Um, like Mark said, it's just what you like and not buy other things. And my interest in Tiger Force is, or I should say my lack of interest in Tiger Force is fairly well known. I have even less attachment to European Force. I'm not going to begrudge those who like them. And taking out the $96 a uh, factor at first and just looking at the two Probably the one that excited me the most was the Adventure Team set, because I'm a sucker for Adventure Team stuff being adapted into 118th. But that being said, repainted cesspool head not really winning me over. And, you know, you, the Slaughter's Marauder set, people are like, oh, but you can complete your convention set. Yeah, but for not $96, I already have barbecue and low light from the... Big Bad Toy Store 7 pack a few years ago with only a slightly different color pattern. So I think this set with the price is... I might do the Adventure Team set. I think the rest is a hard pass. Uh, I'm not a Deke era guy, so I don't have an attachment to Falcon in those colors. Because um, he was treated terribly in Deke. I already have Dodger. And getting a single Sonic Fighters Viper... 
is going to be weird. He's going to be that random guy who's like the Vegas Viper in his gold outfit, you know, as opposed to a small unit. So maybe the adventure team. Yeah, I look at it, and as I grew up, it was funny because I got out of Joe, I don't know, 90, 90 maybe, all told. I was junior in high school or so. And growing up in Bend, it was interesting. I didn't know about a lot of the sub-teams because they didn't get play in the cabs. There was no internet back then, and they never entertainment very much or even the comic that much. So I found out about a lot of the sub-teams later on when some money, getting out of college, getting a decent job time, um, and eBay was starting to flower up. So I was able to backfill Selector knew existed, but the ones that spoke to me because of it late were the ones that improved on existing figures or you know, gave had a reason for being. So even though I wasn't a crazy ninja force, always made sense to me because yeah, and the ninjas sticking together, cool. I loved Night Force because they were all great, and some of them like Psych Out and Crazy Legs were fantastic military improvements on their yeah. original deco. So like Psych Out, I dug the Psych Out character, but I could I could barely stand him even as a kid in that neon green. Does anything scream lieutenant more to a Cobra Sniper <laughs> than the guy in bright green, silver, and red? Like, come on. Put bullets here. Right? It's like that it's like that that great scene in A Few Good Men where they show up down at Guantanamo in their white uh, uniforms and they're like, here, put on some ponchos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right away. So um, the sub-teams I like. So the other sub-teams, you know, and it's easy to gauge it by retrospect. And they're repaints. They're ways to make cheap new figures. Uh, even the original ones, you know. So Tiger Force meant nothing to me. And European Tiger Force certainly means nothing to me. And even Python Patrol never meant anything to me. And Slaughter's Marauders and just that stuff never meant much to me. So, And I realize that I'm, I'm in the minority there. Almost everybody likes sub-teams. And I'm just picky with mine because of the way I came to it. So, But I understand why the club is doing these the way they're doing them. Uh, and I understand that they're not going to make as many as they probably made of this stuff. So it is going to be more expensive. So, you know, again, my lukewarm take of buy it if you have to have it and pass if you don't kind of applies here. The one thing that I think is is really interesting and the ones that, that I like as a collector is the Adventure Team pack. Fighter and the Coils of Doom and... I, I really – and I don't remember it being a, a discussion when I was at Hasbro and working with the club. And I don't know if they pushed for it before and were told no. But I wish they would have pushed for more, not just obscure characters, but brand new characters. Mm. I think that's so important in Joe and well, in Transformers too. The idea that – and this is hard to hard for younger collectors to grasp. But the idea that one of the best parts of being a Joe fan in the brand's uh, youth, at least that 82 to 86 window, when I was playing as a Joe fan, was getting that first Joe off the shelf in February, March, whatever, and flipping over to the back and seeing the two guys that were new. 
who are the new characters? Who's going to be my favorite? Reading that file card. And then when you get that first vehicle unfolding that big fold-out, beautiful, full-color catalog and targeting what was going to be your Christmas ask later that year and what was the birthday, what was cool and what did you have to have and what was a maybe. And that was a big deal as a, as a Joe collector back then. And I wish... Both Hasbro and the club had stuck truer to the root, that root of here's a brand new character. That's something I tried to do at the end with it, with what limited we had. That's why we wanted to make Tombstone. Why, while she was never been represented, that's why I wanted to get Shooter into the line. And so I feel that flavor a bit with Foils of Doom and, uh, and Black Spider 2-pack, and I wish we had seen more of that from both Hasbro and the club over the years. Weber 2020, man. Mark, yeah, you right? got my vote right there. Oh, man. Like, you yeah. just summed up my feelings on everything for Joe and Hasbro and the club perfectly. Yeah. Well, I, I just, yeah, I think there's... There's really something there, and I think everybody kind of lost sight of that a little bit. So I don't, I'm not I'm not hating on the final twelve, but now that I'm now that I'm removed from Hasbro, I am a Joe collector, like I've been most of my life. I'm not ordering any of these. I don't have to have them, and yeah. it's not that you know I'm not saying they stink, and I'm not ripping on the club or even getting into the the cost of them because i think it's probably is pretty accurate to their own rising costs but there's nothing here i have to have so these will these will not be in my collection yeah and ultimately that's my one complaint on it too it's when you're coming down to the end and i understand you don't have necessarily a, a whole lot of budget to put figures together but just straight up repaints again, yeah. And it's just because they match repaints that nobody bought the first time around. The lack of creativity there is is what what turned me off the most. If you're going to do that, Sonic Fighters Viper, that's how he's going to look. If you're going to do Sonic Fighters Falcon, that's how he's going to look. And those figures look fine. There's not a there's not a problem. It's just it's it's a punt. It just feels. Like, well, it's it's down, and it's five to go, and eh, we're kind of close to field goal range, but you know what? Let's points on the board. Let's let's just kick and play field position. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not, not going to disagree. That's a very Hasbro term. You hear, don't disagree is, <laughs> is a very Hasbro term, and I'm trying to glean it from my vocabulary. The one thing that I think when you hear similar stuff from, from fans when Hazard was putting out a line, it's a fairer criticism if you look at the reality of the decisions they were able to make. Mm. And I the truth of it, I'm guessing, and this is an inside knowledge because I don't know, I'm saying that they had they figured they could front no tooling budget for this. So it was never going to be anything more than what this is. And so that's one of the things I really like that Daryl did while we worked on the brand together is, is making fans understand that, look, if I put out the last Snake Eyes Storm Shadow 2-pack that we put out with the Renegade Storm Shadow and the Ultimate Snake Eyes, it's a fantastic 2-pack. But there's nothing different from the figures that were originally released. But that Renegade Storm Shadow was really hard to find. Yeah. And that Snake Eyes is, I think, the best Snake Eyes figure ever done. 
So when I would discuss it with fans and, you know, the kind of guys you run into at JoeCon, which is where I got my best one-to-one interaction with fans, is, I mean, they have both of those figures, right? That two-pack coming out doesn't help them as a collector at all. And so when it was, I was kind of disappointed in that, I'm saying, I get it. You probably already have it. And they go, yeah, it was really kind of a waste. And I'm like, well, build me a better two-pack under the same rules. So if they had to be straight re-releases, what's a two-pack that's going to resonate more than that Snake Eyes and that Storm Shadow? No, and I think, I think that's what I, how the prism I view the, this club stuff from. If this is all it was ever going to be, existing parts and new paint, I mean, I think you maybe could have done a little better or a little more exciting, but I understand why they made each of these picks and kind of accepted. If you look at it from that prism, this is all it was ever going to be. Not many changes you could have made to this to improve it. I kind of wonder in some ways, instead of maybe a few different decisions on how things were packaged, you know, again, Maybe instead of a Sonic uh, Fighters Viper in a two-pack with one other figure, maybe instead a three-pack akin to the Night Stalkers. Would that have sold better? Because then people would be, oh, I'm going to buy two, get six, sell five, you know? Right. I almost wonder, had the club looked at things that they had done in the past that were harder to find, or, you know, some people deemed them impossible to get, and maybe done a like a slightly different deco and release that, you know, like dial tone, for example, right. that, that membership dial tones like insane. If you didn't get them the first time, you know, with your membership, good luck. Yeah. I wonder about that. If they'd have put, it's a good point. If they'd put dial tone and footloose as a two pack. And like, just tweak their colors slightly, you know, yeah. change the web gear or something, a or, different or color. Um, not, yeah. Just something. I think that, giving you almost the final 12 being one more chance at a, at a couple of harder pieces. I wonder if that would have resonated better. Yeah. I think that there's definitely something there. I think, and again, no inside knowledge here, but who knows how many of those they actually might still have at yeah. the club, right? Mm-hmm. If they have a hundred dial tones or a hundred footlooses or whatever, I mean, the club is going out of business, but, those can be sold on the secondary market at some point. Oh, yeah. So I wonder, again, with no inside knowledge, if there actually is some stock of those crazy values that they actually want to preserve the value of. You'd I have wonder to, if that factored in at all. You'd have to almost assume that there is to some extent, even say they didn't know their license was going to go away. Did You would always want to keep some back just for archive purposes, you know? Yeah. Um, I would I would guess that there's some, but probably not a lot. And I remember Bobby talking about going into the Hasbro archive one time, and you know he's like, "There's there's everything that Hasbro produced in the Indiana Jones like warehouse," and and it would make sense that they would keep some of that back. I've been in the same place that Bobby went, and I think he's overselling out a little bit. <laughs> like there are, it is awesome to walk down. A, you know, living unit and walk past sealed flags and sealed defiance. It's, you know, it's goosebumpy, you know, to guys who love Joe like we do. But there are times where I had to have a certain thing for reason. Yeah. And you check it out and you bring it back. You know, it isn't like you're sure. not shopping. 
but it, it's hit, it's hit and miss. It was 50-50. Yeah. But you would see stuff stacked up that was, you know, ridiculous. So you would ask for a hydrofoil, and they wouldn't have any. But you'd walk by five whales sealed, stacked. Man. And so it was just, it was very hit or miss. But the crying shame of that, of that warehouse was not climate controlled. Oh. And anything that was bubble carded is yeah. yellowed and falling off the wall, like falling off their cards onto the floor. Time bombs. Oh. So there is, <laughs> it is gorgeous and it is heartbreaking <laughs> and it is amazing and it is terrifying all at the same time. You've ruined so. Fred's week. I was going to say, I'm going to go sub a beer and cry tonight now. I would, I would love to be this pristine shrine that probably <laughs> should have been, but it, it is not. So I'm going to pose a question, and that is, okay, you have access to everything the club has released, and you have a chance to put together your final 12. What would you have liked to have seen in this that you know that with no, with no additional tooling? it's as easy to sum up in 12 figures like that my complaint as far as selection goes has been it's pretty consistent with what i've said the last few years i i think when 25th anniversary hit it was great and lord knows i bought lots of figures and then it continued on we went into to rise of cobra which was all new stuff and then pursuit of cobra which was kind of new stuff but a lot of throwback stuff and then retaliation which was a lot of throwback stuff, and I'm so sick of throwback. And yeah. unfortunately, that's that's what the club's done for the last several years. And I understand they are only responding to what the people who give them feedback are telling them. So it's not the club's they're doing it is right based on the empirical evidence that they have collected. So no aspersions cast there. But at the same time, I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that the burnout is real from from many of the folks that I speak to it, it's there's no prize at, at any f- price of terrible tiger force blizzard on a card there's you know, <laughs> really if it was seriously it, it's yeah. 50 some dollars or 40 some dollars if it was 20 some dollars I still wouldn't be buying it it's like there's why did we have to keep going down this path with every character. And I, I do appreciate that they did the adventure team stuff. They, they branched out a little bit. Coils of Doom is a brand new character. Uh, so they where they could. But man, it's just... It, 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 that's all we've gotten for the last several years. Except for a very few exceptions. You can put together just about any sort of generic looking soldier and put him in camo and gear him up and call it land torpedo or land wetsuit like they did in that, other, <laughs> they did in that concept a couple of years ago and, and nobody's yeah. nobody's gonna complain that's something that's been been asked for for a while and it didn't happen so we could get or as close to straight up repaints as possible yeah. without being straight up repaints and it, it, i just i don't know it, it could just be more depression of the of gi joe's individuality fading away manifesting itself than anything else there's so much hype and build up to this automatically because it's the last stuff the club is doing that even if it had just knocked my socks off i still probably wouldn't be that impressed with it so i i don't know if the criticism is fair and i i think maybe there's a lot of people that are feeling the same way that i do about it and and maybe to 
articulating that as well as I did there. So the final 12s, it, it's fine for what it is. It's not something I'm going to buy. I just think conceptually it was, eh. Just from my own perspective, I look at some of the SS rosters they've done. And to my eyes, even though I've never bothered to review them yet, FSS 7, for me, it doesn't get better than FSS 7. There were so many figures in there that I never thought I'd see. And that had their final offering. Man, talk about swinging for the fences, at least for my mind. Whereas with this, it's like you said, it's just, there's just, I don't know. I, I don't know if there, if there really is a huge demand for European, as big a demand for European Tiger Force, for example, as we saw in the room, Joe Con when they were announced. Yeah. I get the Slaughter's Marauders. I mean, look, they're, they're, they're finishing off two. a set, but... Chris McCloud does count as two. <laughs> and then here's his hair. No so one will two. ever be as passionate about European Tiger Force as Chris McCloud in that moment. And they, his reaction was wonderful. And I'm happy that he's able to get these. But it like this was not a... When you look at a that had, you know, Budo and Crystal Ball and... The, the D-Care, the Tundra Ranger Stalker, and Skidmark, and Tiger Force Jink, and a Tomax, you know, to name a few. That And then the repaint of Big Boa, who was hard to get for people who didn't already subscribe. It's a pretty solid roster. And you got a new character in there as well, with the Dreadnought uh, Chaos. Yeah, the roster was great for Seven. The execution on it was a little... Eh. I'm not talking execution, I'm just talking purely roster, is that that was... That was an exciting group. Like, man, I when they announced that, I'm like, take my money. I think one of the things that's, a, I don't say a miss here, but I had a, a hand in it and, and, and could have offered some advice. And it's, the brand itself had lost, too, over the years was, was as much a vehicle line as it is a figure line. Always yeah. has been. And, I mean, there aren't that many molds left. There really aren't, which is the, the crying shame you would hope that this vast library of fantastic vehicles over the years is just available to be chosen from me. Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't work like that at all, unfortunately, but there are enough vehicles out there that I think the club could have played a little deeper in that pool, especially once Toys R Us wasn't taking the big double vehicle anymore. Yeah. There's stuff that could have been had that I think fans would have would have rushed to. And yeah, it would have been I mean if if two figures cost you ninety six bucks, you know, I can't imagine what a sized vehicle would. But yeah. I think fans would have been there for for a proper execution for a vehicle they haven't had available in ages. And now again it would have to fit today's larger scale figures. But there are options that I think would have spoken to the fan base, and I'm disappointed that both Hasbro and the club didn't play a little deeper. It's endemic to the success of Joe and Star Wars, you know, uh, as an aside. The vehicles matter, and Joe hasn't had good vehicle representation in, God, I don't know, a decade? It's been a long time. So, Mark, what I'm reading into this is that you fought for a flag. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I got a flag. For all you suckers that don't, I guess you're just not as big a fan as I am. <laughs> wow! 
Ginger Kitty likes to scratch. I got me a flag, so if I have it, then there's no reason to make a new one. I don't have a I don't have a defiant. Never did. I have the shuttle, but I don't have the the complex yeah, at well, all. Is so it the Crusader I've got, or is it one of the I've actual got, defiant shuttles? I've got other complexes, but I don't have the defiant complex. <laughs> I guess that becomes the holy grail. Oh, if you were too boring, we wouldn't have had you on the show. Well, I appreciate it. I'm, I guess it's, I'm I'm really pleased that we got far down the depth chart that I got the phone call. So put right. me in, coach. <laughs> Go out and deep right. <laughs> deep right. Yeah. Deeper. That's fine. Is it far enough that I can be shaded? <laughs> That's all. It's the, it's the injury to avoid. So yes. Right. I stay out there, but as the sun sets, I'm going to kind of follow this shadow around. <laughs> Where's our parasol boy? Shade that man. Exactly. Eventually, he'll be in left field. You know how good, oh. you know how good fielders will shade their eyes with their glove? I try to shade my whole body. <laughs> so, Mark is a lean-to. <laughs> so we'll, we'll leave it with FSS Final 12, whatever you want to call it. Eh... Buy it if you got the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I say just keep it in perspective. Yeah, if you're a Tiger Force guy, you're probably loving life. Warm take. Yeah. Tiger Force. Ugh. Hate that group. Don't you think they'd be the first guy's shot? Oh my god, the kitty patrol? Yeah, they just scream shoot at me. I mean, maybe psyched because he's Obviously, I, I, a, a lieutenant in bright neon, but no Tiger Force Blizzard. <laughs> like, let's take our Arctic guy and paint him yellow. Yeah, there was always something yellow snow. Like, I thought that was a bold move. Actually, <laughs> it'd be like giving 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 Skidmark brown pants. Like, they <laughs> totally should have done that. Just I'd brown... respect. I'd have respected him more in brown pants. Just brown waist, Mark. Just a right. brown. You know, it, it would have it would have hid the problem. So, would have maybe helped a dude out. You know, it's better than his skid mark and white pants. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I suppose that's a good point. I'm kind of it... surprised the club didn't take the Tiger Force beachhead and hardtop that they had done and drop them in their final Tiger Force roster. I'd have been all over it. I. I actually have a ridiculous love for that beachhead. He looks like the Great Pumpkin, but I freaking love that color scheme. Just from a character perspective, could you imagine them bringing the Tiger Force uniform to Beachhead? <laughs> yeah, no, he he would laugh at it as it burned. Right? That's yeah. like bringing that's that's got to be what it was like when they had the retro jerseys waiting for Chris Sale in the locker room, right? Yeah, like. I'd... <laughs> That's not going to happen. No. Uh, General Hawk, we need another green shirt uh, to try to deliver a uniform to Beachhead. We've lost <laughs> communication with the last seven. I always think of the when they gave him the, the unmasked head, and it had that, oh, yeah. that goofy mustache and the, the mohawk. Like, get real. <laughs> Be I don't ever want... Beachhead unmasked would be the most boring unmasked head they could possibly make. Right? Just, I don't want to see Beachhead's face ever. It would just be a it would just be a guy with a short haircut. That's all it would yeah. be. He'd be clean shaven because the dude's army through and through. Goofy mustache Mohawk man was entirely tone deaf. Yeah, I think hipster Beachhead was probably never uh, never a thing. <laughs> no, 
He's the bongos on the weekend at the poetry club. Yeah, I mean, he would have had the horn rim glasses because that's what standard issue was. But that's that's it. That's all. <laughs> and a Starbucks. Anyway, that's it for the news. Unless anybody else has some news that I missed. Anybody got news? I think that's all the news. That's, that's all the it. News. Well, we've been we've been doing this for like hours. How much more news can we have? That leads us to post post mailbag mailbag sponsored by all the cool stuff. Visit all the cool stuff at allthecoolstuff.co.uk for all of the finest in G.I. Joe, Action Force, Lego, Transformers, dudes in furry shorts, probably got some pony stuff too. Just not Funko Pops. Dave Tree hates Funko Pops. Don't don't ask him about all the cool stuff. Mention what's on Joe Mind to all the cool stuff founder and proprietor Dave Tree. He'll, he'll give you a big wet kiss. That's, a, that's the truth. God's honest truth. <laughs> Big wet kiss. <laughs> Anyways, first letter from Facebook. Hi, everyone. Great to hear from you again. What do you think about the rumored deal with Mezco? Is Hasbro finally opening up to the idea of licensing out their main brands? Does this also mean, however, that they've given up on trying to revitalize G.I. Joe for the newer generation, exclusively aiming at the collector's market? And that is from Vince Arduini. So, uh, Mark, we'll let you have first crack at this. Hasbro's rumored deal with Mezco. Have you? Do you know about this? I'm aware of the the speculation. I think it's uh, I think it's a little overblown, to be honest. A little odd to see Mezco reference GI Joe, you know, in in any sort of official capacity. So uh, it might mean something. It might not. I've I've always found it odd, or I've always felt that. Well, not always, but it's odd to me now, at least, that Hasbro has been rather protective of a brand that they don't seem to have big plans for themselves. Like it, it would seem it would make more sense to me if if owned brands fell into clear category of, nope, we're going to do something with that, and well, we don't really have plans for that, so yeah, let's make some licensing. With it. And Joe seems to sit kind of oddly in between. So I don't know if that's the waiting out of the Paramount movie, you know, to see if it might turn into something bigger. It's always felt odd to me that Hasbro, in one camp or the other, regarding Joe specifically, they have seen... It seems like they're happy to license Joe out as long as it's not figures or vehicles. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's cartoony enough, if it's loyal subjects... Or if it's great, big, expensive Prime One statues that are gorgeous, but at a, a you know, price point, point pool they don't swim in, great. But the Mezco thing is a little bit odd, odd enough to be interesting, but I wouldn't read too much into it. I thought it was kind of interesting because Mezco, Mezco does that the higher end one twelve scale line, and there has been a vocal faction in the G.A. Joe fandom that is pushing for six-inch Joe for a long time. Uh... I know. I know. When I first saw this, and I saw that Mezco did the blog, and I again, I have some friends that work there, and I, 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 they're friends of mine because I don't ask them things. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not that guy that's always like, oh, Mr. Mezco! <laughs> See, I brought it back. But um, I kind of saw that blog article a little bit as a, hey, 
Ayud kind of thing from Mez. They're 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 courting someone at Hasbro to see, you know, hey, you know, just to let you know we're interested in G.I. Joe and you know, you're not doing anything with it. We could do a six inch thing. Hasbro has licensed out some brands in the past for things like Mark said in price points that they're not working in. Look at the giant Optimus Prime and giant Megatron figures. I can't think of Toys Alliance. You know, here's a here's a two hundred dollar eighteen inch tall Megatron figure that's freaking amazing that Hasbro's never used and it doesn't transform. So maybe that's all it was was Mezco saying, you know, we're interested in GI if you consider doing something of this nature with us. Or it could just be that the guy who's in charge of their blog is like, you know what, I love Joe, damn it. And I'm going to talk about it if no one else is. Personally, 6-inch Joe doesn't interest me. And $85 6-inch Joe interested me even less. Just because other Joe I have. True. And you could almost get a two-pack for that. <laughs> you, can, you can get a... It's Zartan and Ud. And a repainted Doom Cycle for that. You can get a three-pack of Night Rangers or Night Stalker. <laughs> Ooh, a three-pack of Night Ranger. Night Ranger. Don't tell me it's... you love me! Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm not knocking Vince here, because obviously he's not this, but even calling the sub on this enough to, to be a rumor is is stretching it. That's like agree with you. Huh? Just some dude calling out GI Joe to see if it gets a rise. I think that's all it is. And, and it doesn't matter if it gets a rise from a couple of hundred of the Joe fan guys. It, that's not enough to really spark that. I think if Hasbro ever did anything about licensing out Joe for figures, it's going to be for stuff that they don't have any use of anymore. You know, like we saw the, the those keychains had the the world's smallest GI Joe. Like the generic guys like that, the action soldier and the action sailor and, and things like that, that maybe they, they just don't have any plans to do anything with on forward. I could see the designs of the guys who came out in the 80s in A Real American Hero. I could see them eventually getting to that point. But I think there's still too much mainstream cash to collect on those, so they're not going to get licensed out anytime soon. Six-inch Joes, good lord. I, you know... It never goes away, Mike. No, it never does. And, and I'll even concede that I'd better look at but I don't need the same character designs done again in a different scale. I would yep. just, like, if Joe is a six-inch line going forward, great. If we get a, a successful movie or TV property or something out there to, that supports the sizes of the scale to go in, fantastic. Just give me some new. Give me something fresh. Give me something that can get passed forward and carry on. I'm tired of living in 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Nostalgia's wonderful sometimes. But it's not laying down any tracks for what's not. It's not and that I might be able to pass to my fictional children someday. Like, that's what I'm concerned about. I, I always said that my biggest fear for JoeCon was being the youngest guy there. And it's not really the case there's you know there's there's fans probably 10 years younger than i am but tears younger than me is still early 30s and it doesn't stretch any younger than that no and that's a big hole to have when you're trying to maintain a brand in popular culture that's not getting anywhere that's that's not anything with a footprint so give me something new give me something that's going to stick give me something different 
So I can have my GI Joe forever. That's fine. I don't it, I don't need it again. You've given me figures a couple of times. Now. Maybe an occasional Easter egg or, or, or a cookie for me keep me happy. But I I just don't need it all again. I've collected it twice. That's enough. Give me something. Yeah. New. So as far as the rumored deal with Mezco, there's not really a rumored deal with Mezco. There's just Mezco putting out feelers. And as with most of this stuff, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. But thanks for writing in, Vince. Appreciate the, the letter. You are the one fan that bothered to to do that when announced in advance that Fred and Mark would be joining us tonight. So you are the official king of the mail for November. There you go. He gets a crown and everything. It's one of those Burger King crowns. These are awesome. We you get free, free dinner at Red Lobster with Don Cricky. <laughs> Come on now. We, we don't have a budget for Red Lobster. <laughs> we could get him, get him some onion rings at that Burger King, but that's about it. It's a quality Burger King, at least. Mm, Burger King. <laughs> My office is located downwind of a Burger King. And you step outside on the right day, and you're like, well, I'm getting a Whopper for lunch. Oh. Hey, you just That smell coming off the grill, you can't do anything of it. I grew up around the corner from a Burger King in New York. And on the wrong day, Burger King was just the last thing you ever wanted to eat <laughs> in your life. Like, I, I really, I couldn't eat at Burger King until they changed their fries when I was in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. For, so from some 1987, when we moved away from until 90, I'd say 95 or so, when, when they went to the thicker cut fries, I did not eat at Burger King. Man, I, I don't know if I've, when I've had their fries... I just always go onion ring. Yeah, the onion rings are big time. Yeah. But I grew up in a small town in the Oregon. We had Burger King. We'd have to go to Portland to get the Burger King. Man, you were in the middle of nowhere. No, no, I'm just playing for sympathy. That's fine. And that trip to Portland was definitely uphill both ways. Both ways. Uh, honestly, that's, <laughs> that's a crap, that is a crappy drive from Bend, Portland. <laughs> crappy drive from Bend everywhere, isn't it? Ben's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Pretty much two hours from everywhere. Yeah. Isn't it out on that, like, some peninsula or something? No, it's it's dead middle of Oregon. It's okay. in the high desert. Right, um, and and which gentleman, which Joe is from Bend, Oregon? Oh, Hopefully. crap. Oh, come on now. No, and I even read this recently. This is going to uh, kill me. Bendy. <laughs> Bender? No, Nightbox. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd have gone all day. They were gonna, they were gonna put him from Crescent City, Oregon, because I had made a point that there were some some were underrepresented by Joes, and Dial Tone's the only Joe from Oregon, and the right on the car guy, Annie Martell, um, to throw me a shadow, made him from Crescent City, Oregon, and there isn't a Crescent City in Oregon. There's a Crescent, and there's a Oregon. So you got to be really careful when you're working with a new writer. So I put back, hey, just so you know, really appreciate it. But he can be from Crescent, Oregon or Crescent City, California. But Crescent City, Oregon doesn't fly. And I only know this because I grew in Oregon. Thanks so much, Mark. <laughs> Tacked the revision and, and changed it to Bend, Oregon, which I didn't ask for. And it had, but, it had but, attached to it. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Pretty much, right? And the part about it is Bend was the least racially diverse town in America, I think. 
and Night Fox's real name is like Alejandro Villanueva or something like that <laughs> from, from Bend, Oregon. So uh, uh, he, he is the token the minority in that case. Uh, I look at it as he couldn't wait to get out and join the military <laughs> right away. <laughs> You're that Villanueva boy I keep hearing about. <laughs> So that is that is it for Postsoc. Uh, keep your letters coming. Uh, be sure to catch a hold of us at what's on Joe Mind at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Facebook slash what's Facebook.com slash what's on Joe Mind. You can also find us on Twitter at what's on Joe Mind Podcast. Actually, no, that's not true. It's at W O J M podcast. God, the that's, circle of trust broken. That's good. Drive. If, only, if only Joe Colton was here to, to get us all the contact info, right? Dri- drive, drive everybody to Twitter. Give the wrong Twitter address. Good plan. <laughs> this is why this show is the the continues to be the two bit slime show after seven years. That's why we go nowhere. <laughs> that's fine. There's nobody important anyway. Not really. No. No. Yeah. We've we've been pushing the the Twitter address now for a couple of weeks, couple months, I should say, and I think I'm I think I drove us up to 25 followers because everybody who follows the show is following my personal Twitter address. There you go. And I'm trying to get trying to get that Twitter thing on there so I can, you know, so people can contact the show a little bit more easily, as opposed to sending things off individually to to me or to Joe or to Carson or. Gary or Justin or God forbid Chuck or, or any you know anybody else, so it's been a slow process. Slow process. Anyhow, next up is what we got in, sponsored by Kokomo Toys. When we talk about everything GI Joe related that we've picked the last couple of months, or not GI Joe related, frankly, we don't care. It's slow buying times for Joe. So if you got something interesting, we're we're happy to hear about it. And again, Kokomo Toys, the finest toy outpost in the entire state of Indiana. Sing the theme song with me. Kokomo, Kokomo, Kokomo Toys. Kokomo, Kokomo, Kokomo Toys. How does that go again? Kokomo, Kokomo, Kokomo Toys. Kokomo, Kokomo, Kokomo Toys. I got it. I swear I'm going to have a nightmare about a toy that you squeeze that sings that song. Ooh. That's a good idea, actually. That would be one sexy spread. I hope it's six-inch scale so Mike can collect it, too. (laughs) It would be fresh and different. It's talking six-inch beachhead. (laughs) First beachhead. (laughs) I don't know if if beachhead's head is big enough to be my head. head Hey, uh, I got something here for what we got in. Go for it. So I've got a a subsidiary collection. Most of it's down in the basement. My son likes toys. My son was headed off to the, uh, this is Derek, we Derek, Derek's 12 years old. Derek's heading off to a overnight, they do it every year, it's a retreat for uh, the middle school that he goes to, and it's a Christian school. So he's headed off to this overnight, two-day, one-night camp. Off he goes, and he decides, I want to bring one of Dad in the backpack. Boom. So he goes downstairs, where they're pretty much laying around, whatever, and he's very good with them, so I don't monitor him very closely. He's more of a Transformers kid than a Joe kid, so he decides he's going to bring one of Dad's Transformers with him. Well, what vintage, I don't know, maybe first gear Transformer would you take with you on a, oh, no. if you had your choice of all of them? I give you a hint. 
only one that transforms into a, an appropriately sized, rather realistic looking Walter PPK. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. So in a in a fit of what's actually sort of surprise bad decision making. My son packed heat to the Christian Ooh. getaway. Yeah, Mark, I was going to say, I thought your kid was smarter. He normally is. And so the saving grace is that Megatron toy is crazy brittle, especially after 30-some years. And he put it in the bottom of his backpack and crushed it to hell with oh. everything else that went on top of it, which I'm actually grateful for. Yeah, that, again, as terrible as it sounds, that is the yeah. best possible outcome. So when he when he went to go, you know, drain and pull that uh, smoke wagon, <laughs> it wasn't terribly effective. You wow, know, a tombstone reference. I love it. As you are wont to do on, you know, a Christian middle school <laughs> retreat, you better be packing heat. Drop so, iron and pull that smoke wagon. It wasn't the perfect crime, however, because when Young Derek Bryan got home. His need to hide the crime and dad's ruined vintage toy was overcome by his more com- more deeply held conviction that he shouldn't have to put any of his own stuff away. Oh. So as I emptied said backpack a couple days later, I'm like, the hell is this? Oh, that's Megatron's leg. And then fish the other tiny, tiny, tiny pieces out of the backpack. So we had a discussion about it. And this relates because what did I get in? I got in a new masterpiece Megatron. Oh, nice. Looks just like a Walther PPK. Is a little more expensive than maybe you'd want to pay for a collector. But as a 12-year-old boy... It will sink the money you've been saving. So the learning, the takeaway, the lesson here is <laughs> don't take weapons or toy weapons <laughs> to school or school events. Don't take dad's stuff without asking. And if you break said stuff, you can buy the replacement. So I give a big thumbs up and a glowing review to my new Masterpiece Megatron. And in long story long, and not to make me out to be the total ogre of the story, he and I actually worked with a YouTube video to transform it back and forth a couple times because it's really hard to change. Um, But it is an outstanding toy, and a lot of people forget the original Megatron was a dreadful, terrible robot, and uh, the... Takara Tomi Hasbro partnership on this Megatron is sensational in both modes. So, very, very happy with it. Yeah, the original had that weird crotch trigger tray table looking thing. It was just <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah, bad. Just got all bad toy. But, but the gun was freesome because yeah. it was based off the pistol. In Japan, I think the original toy in Japan wasn't it based off the gun was based off the man from Uncle. Yes, yeah, which is right. amazing. So yeah. yeah, and and honestly, I mean, if it had to be a good pistol, um, a lot of Transformers over the years are either you know a good alt mode or a good robot mode. So obviously they started with the pistol and tried to figure out 
you know, how to how to out of it. And that's if they were looking long term to see what would be a more realistic get your ass in trouble on a Christian road trip perspective. <laughs> I well. think they made the right choice. Well. Now I think my son made the wrong choice, but several. Uh, several. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they've got everything's right about this one. It's a fantastic oh. thing. When when Chris McLeod did a review of, of it. Transforming that bad boy, that's a that's a good that's a good forty five minutes. Yeah, and I didn't even try. Like it had good instructions, you know, no no text on it, just images. And I didn't even try. I just popped up the YouTube channel. Memory to transforming anything where you know how hard to push, how hard and when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> But it is a different thing when it's, you know, north of three digits, three digits in the price. Like, I'm not pushing for nothing. If it's not (laughs) if it's not popping easy, I am. Nope, I'm done. And I didn't let the Derek touch it at all. The first time we transformed it first and back because, nope, I'm not going to, you know, you broke the last one. (laughs) So sit there and watch but he actually enjoyed the process of it on a shelf in his room and still forbid him to touch it the funny thing is i have a uh, really good toy display cabinet the kind like we would display the joe's in at joe con mm-hmm. and they have the the double sliding glass pane mm-hmm. spun around because i'm not it's storage really so those panes are facing out and i felt that he was getting into the into that cabinet that's the cabinet that's dad's stuff don't touch and I found that he was actually getting into it a couple of years ago. And I'm like, well, now i got to put a lock on it. And he said, I forget what he said. It wasn't terribly smart-ass. But he was like, I don't think there's a lock that fits that. If you just look at it, where, how would you lock it? Yeah. Right? There's no, there's no handle. There's no knob. There's no – and so uh, in, in what was, I guess, a, a harbinger of things to come, he got to buy me off – uh, eBay, that funky sliding metal lock that locks the two doors in place. So, oh jeez, that's it's cabinet still locked up down there. So that <laughs> that might be where where Megatron ends up eventually. So, when I worked at FAO Shores, we had those on the display cases in the action department, and if you couldn't find the key, you could always open it with a paper clip. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So it was like, eh. This is really just a token gesture to slow down a transaction more than anything else. <laughs> but it's amazing if somebody sees a lock, how many of them will not try to mess with, with what's being locked up. Anyhow, Mark, you got anything else in? No, that's it. That's it? I mean, That's the big win. But that, that is pretty awesome. What was he saving up for? A <laughs> computer. No! <laughs> big old chunk was, out of that one. What? What was he saving up for? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Megatron. Megatron, yeah. <laughs> Masterpiece Megatron. Bitches. Yep. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, I love anecdote time. Oof. <laughs> Fred, what, what you got in? Uh, nothing nearly as exciting as that story. Don't have a 12-year-old. So that yeah, does, exactly. That does put a crap I, in things. I was recently... Uh, a trip for work where I was, we were doing um, a travel itinerary for the county that has two wineries, a brewery, and a, dis- a distillery in it. So I had time to kill these places. Uh, collect pretty much 118th scale anything. And I made the mistake a few months back of buying the Stephen King's figure packs. 
that were out where you'd get two of the kids from the losers and one Pennywise. But on the package, they pictured four sets, but only three of them had hit retail. The, the third set with Stan and Mike was supposed to be Toys R Us exclusive, and we all know how that went. Mm. So I'm killing time up. I mean, it's and there's been nothing. Like, Funko has the worst messaging of any toy company ever. There's not really good contact us on their website. I mean, we've I've tried multiple ways to get a hold of people, and it's just nothing. Everybody assumed the set was discontinued. And I walked into a GameStop up there just to nose around while I was killing time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Funko, blah, blah, blah. Wait, what? And right there in a GameStop. So it was originally 20 bucks, but it was 25% off. For some reason. So not only was it the hard-to-find piece, but it was less than what I thought. And then the same afternoon, because again, apparently falling into the Funko action figure hole hard recently, I also stumbled across the uh, four-pack, which was Agent Cooper, the Log Lady, Bob, and Dead Laura Palmer, which is possibly the greatest 118th no-articulation figure I've ever seen. Because it's literally Laura Palmer wrapped in, sh- in the plastic as they find her in the pilot of Twin Peaks. A Montezuma's skeleton challenger. It, it kind of is in the fact that that has more articulation than dead Laura Palmer. Well, yeah, the head comes off. That's pretty much it. But Fantastic, it's, though. Yeah, it, right now it's kind of a slow toy time, quite honestly. The Married with Children Funko 4-Pack. All right. Again, I don't know what it is. All of a sudden, I'm buying Funko action figures, not Pops, but Funko action figures like they're dropping like flies. I haven't gotten into those. I'm an articulation snob anymore. I can't do the Funko stuff. These aren't the reaction, the five points. These have nine or ten decent points. The The reason I was buying the It sets is they're 80s-era Joe-scale kids. So you can actually, and if I ever get around to it, I can shoot some PSAs with these things. <laughs> give them Gee, the Timmy, stick. how'd you give break your stick. arm? <laughs> Don't give him the stick. Let's jump some power lines. That'll Lots be fun. Massage. Not Fensler ones. I, I always like the, hey, where, where's your friend? I don't know. We were playing hide and seek by that old refrigerator. Like, that's kind of a Darwin Awards moment right there. Like, how are these kids still... It is. You just... <laughs> you know, you don't, you never get just off camera where we're just doing the facepalm. <laughs> you know, oh, come on now. Come on. You gotta do better than that. I can't I, watch I, you all the time. On JBL's Facebook page, every so often, I on Tuesdays, I tend to post a video, whether it's an old commercial or something, and I've been putting the PSAs up, and some of the comments about, like... Why the hell is Shipwreck fixing his Jeep outside of a school? Why do you, you think? <laughs> or, or, you know, why is Deep Six teaching kids about wearing life jackets when he's wearing an undersea pressure suit? And why was he underneath those kids in the first place? Mm. Or why does Hispanic Shipwreck sound like Jack Nicholson? Oh. Just saying. We got that. We got the answer to that one. Based on no. poster. It was, wasn't he trying to make him sound like the last detail or something? Yes, you need to go back, yeah. go back and listen to the Neil Ross. Now we're talking. Neil Ross was the stuff. It was a great interview. There was some picture of him at something out west last weekend. He was dressed as shipwreck. Yeah, he was doing That's photo right. ops. Yeah, it cracks me up every so often 
what I'm watching because my better half and I will watch cartoons on weekend mornings. That's kind of our thing. We'll watch an old episode of some series that we have on DVD and how often he shows up in things and not even as always as voice, but that man, you always think of Michael Bell as being everywhere, but Neil Ross is right behind him. He had his run there mid eighties to mid nineties where he was, he was the guy. Yeah, you know, as Michael Bell kind of started back on some of that, Neil Ross was the guy who who seemed to get a lot of that work. Yeah, he really did. What what I got in, I got a bunch of random stuff. As what happens when there's no new product, I go back and I get old product that I may have missed the first time around. Thanks to to John Stotman, I picked up a couple of Red Laser Vipers, the weird colored ones. There's like a Sky Patrol one or a Sky, whatever, Action Force, Sky thing. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> there's, there's one that's gray. There's one that's that's kind of looking over at them and what have you. Anyhow, four of those, uh, one of each of the different Viper flavors. From uh, G.I. Joe Junkyard, I got a Hiss Scout because I was not lucky enough to find those in Ross the first time around. So that's actually the one Joe item that's within reach right this second is the the Hiss Scout. Uh, I like that. I, yeah, I like thought that was Scout. a cool oh, yeah. concept. Yeah, no, I, I dug it. I'd have bought a ton more of them if they had made it to, to mass retail here in the States, but they really only got to Canada, and then they wound up in Ross. And it attached to the tank, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I have to get that version of Hiss out to check. I think there's a way you can snap it under that part that extends on the back. I think that's right. I just remember thinking that that was about a bonus feature, like your hiss gets even more awesome. Yeah, the, I know that the, the gun port, you can you can take the gun out, and that gun will work on other V at time. Like, it'll go on the hiss, it'll, it works with those. And so you probably take the gun out and, and hitch it up through that hole in the vehicle itself. And the driver sits down low enough in it that I could I could see that being the case. Again, I got, I'd have to bust it out. It's, it's, in, it's in a box somewhere. Mostly just, just kind of odds and ends. I've hit a couple of the vintage toy shops here in St. Louis. Of course, Saga Toys is my regular stop. I got Christmas Lego Chewbacca. Just basically white Chewbacca with little light that go on his crossbow. It's it's a knockoff, but I'll probably be giving that away to one of the, the youngins I know that does Lego. So just, again, odds and ends. There's a, another shop in town here where, I God, I remember... Dude who owns its name is Alan, and I just don't remember the name of the store. Cause I've only been there the once, but he had some great Joe stuff. I got a, it's a nice Viper with a full card back, file card, and just some odd pieces from the vintage looking for the the '82 to to '94. The loss of employment means there isn't a ton of money to throw around at this stuff. We're fine for the short term, but you don't want to go blowing through everything right out of the gate. So that's what we got in, sponsored by Kokomo Toys, which brings us to. Shoutouts. Give out a, a good old barbaric yop to friends and loved ones who are responsible for where we are today. Yay! Fred, I'll let you go first on this one. You got to plug your show, man. I, I thought you would do that at the intro, but no. So you got. You were talking about JBL. You got to let. That... <laughs> well, okay. You've got a show. You've got to let other people know where to find that. Give a. Shout out to uh, Mike Tinnell, my co-host on Just Another G.I. Joe Show, which you can find on YouTube under Just Another G.I. Joe Show. It's bi-weekly. 
it's a live uh, YouTube program, so there you know, there's no editing. If something goes wrong, it goes wrong. Cough screen. Um, and then you can find me over at Joe Battlelines on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google Plus, and on the World Wide Web. As far as any other shout out, yikes. Big shout out to Bobby Valla for coming on just another G.I. Joe show last night and just for being an all around awesome guy who always willing to put up with club figure. Is this one of your builds? And hey, what were you thinking of when, when you were putting this? You know, what other heads were you using? Because I'm like a director's cut kind of guy and always likes to know what didn't make it to final production. So, so Mark, next time you talk to Bobby and he makes a reference to that d- Fred. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am that d- you know Fair what's enough. up there. Say, hey, I know that. Hey, oh. Anyhow, you know, Fred, you don't have to just limit it to just toy shout outs. You're not on the show very often. You can give shout outs to anybody. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else. Other than that, actually, a kind of a weird shout out to, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the news about what happened to Larry, Larry Hama, at oh, a yeah. uh, comic con he was at where somebody stole all his markers from his table. And wrote a politically charged message on his sign-up sheet. And I thought, wow, that's a complete douche maneuver. I don't know. See, I I, I never make it to this part of the show, <laughs> to the shout-outs part. I always, like, drop off before this. Man. My dad is 88 years old, going to be 89 next year. Uh, if it were not for my father, I would not own a single G.I. Joe toy. So, Dad, it's all kind of your fault. And I know to this because your smartphone is puzzling at times, but you're a hell of a guy. And yeah, thanks for everything. See, now that's a shout out from a guest host. That's quality. I try. <laughs> you got anything else? That's it. I'm done. You're just going to wow us <laughs> once, once, not twice. Okay. Mark. I think I'll start by giving a shout out to my polydoc- polydactyl cat, Colin, <laughs> who. <laughs> Is an indoor-only cat and escaped out into the wild a couple weeks ago. And as I brought him back out of the forest as the conquering father and heroic champion, he scratched the hell out of my left hand. So I appreciate a cat with seven toes making the most of all of them to make his owner's life a little more bloody. So thanks, Colin. Appreciate that. It's true. The cat has 48 toes. God, and like a billion claws, so... It's like the next generation of Wolverine. Pretty much, like, I guess his weapon Y, but, <laughs> like, like, why did you claw the hell out of my hand? On, you know, not to not to get too serious or bring it down, but folks that, that had a really rough week a couple weeks ago, been there myself, uh, and, you know, Mike, you know, you're dealing with it as well, but in my experience, being laid off and being laid off uh, unexpectedly, is rough, but it usually leads to something better within a couple months. So, if everybody's going through a tough time right now, you know, enjoy the time off that you do have for what it is, and get back out there. You'll find something. We'll all find something. Uh, and who knows? Sometimes people aren't looking who should have been looking, and sometimes great opportunity coming that you wouldn't have found if you weren't looking as hard as you are following a layoff. So. To all my fellow has-beens out there, keep your head up. Things will turn around for you. Oh, way to bring the show down, Mark. Right? Follow that. <laughs> um. Well. Yeah. 
doesn't bother me really, so it's it's fine. But I, I always, of course, my first shout outs are to our sponsors, uh, Avax Lab, 3DJoes.com, and the finest and toys and all the cool stuff, Planet Nerd Rage Productions. Going through the list just to make sure I got everybody. Generalsjoes.com, the new segment, which was, of course, where we spent most of our time wasting oxygen this evening. <laughs> shout out to, to you, Joe, to step in on short notice, help out, make sure we could get an episode done, you know, before. We rolled into December because really we're we're at that point where it starts to build up. I have a couple other special edition side episodes planned, and and so between those and and the holidays, it, yeah, time gets a little scarce as far as putting this stuff together. So I appreciate you guys being available and being willing to help out and step in and provide quality discussion and different viewpoints for our dozens and dozens of <laughs> remaining listeners. Well, and it shouldn't be too much editing because we washed our mouths. Yeah. What he just fucking said. I mean, that's like absolutely the exact goddamn thing I was going to say. You guys, cursing is easy. Also, penis, vagina, dick, sphincter, and anal leakage. You don't, have, you don't even have to edit that. Yeah, it's, no. It's not a cur- uh, Fred saying anal leakage is going to be a soundbite that <laughs> Then earlier in the episode when Fred described some collectors as super anal, that, that could be the loop. We'll figure it out. Whatever I can get a cleaner bit on. But yeah, no, bleeping <laughs> cursing is easy, so whatever. It, you bleep all you want. You heard, no, you didn't hear last month's episode, but Kate McLeod has a potty mouth, so it was, I mean, really, that's that's the easy editing. <laughs> As we say, it's the unofficial motto of, of this program. Bleeping is f- funny. There we go. There you go. That should be a t-shirt. If you're not bleeping, you're not trying. So no worries there, certainly. Get busy bleeping or get busy dying. I like that. Speaking of bleeping, here's my fucking cat right now. Hey, Colin. Jackass. This is is where he jumps up on the table and destroys your microphone. God, that cat. He's got character. Well, he's got blood on his hands. That's what he's... That cat's looking at you like, yeah, I own this house. You know it. Yeah, well, he was in charge until I gave him that extra Cobra Clutch squeeze. And he learned that there's an actual food chain and that brought- four, 14 claws don't mean shit when the human decides to squeeze you. Yeah, no. You know, Mark, if you'd only had a ditty bag with you, you wouldn't have had this problem. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when I actually brought him in with the bloody hands and dropped him off and shut and locked the door behind him. He <laughs> ran under the kitchen table and then looked back at me with the flat ears and the d- eyes. Like, looked at me like, what was that all about, human? <laughs> Jackass. This is why you got to have a super soaker on hand in every room of the house. <laughs> That's what it's about. When I had Here, kitty, kitty. Yeah, when I had cats, I was a crack shot with a water pistol. Ugh. I just, from, from across the room, not really looking behind the back, just... Off they go. I ruled with an iron, f- <laughs> iron fist. Mike actually was the first choice for the Netflix um, series and scheduling conflicts. Yeah, actually, what, what's funny is that the weird part about it was, you know, I, I am completely out of shape, but the notes I got back were not fat enough. <laughs> I stand it any more than you do, so whatever. 
<laughs> I saw someone online put together the Netflix poster for the Defenders that has Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Iron Man and then uh, or uh, Iron Fist and Power Man on it, and then they had done it up as though following their cancellations that Power Man and Iron Fist were both turned to ash and fading away because of Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's two out of four, fifty percent. That seems about right. The math, uh, the math works. <laughs> They're just gonna buddy them up in a in one show, so whatever. Yeah, probably. That's fine. Telegraph that punch there, Marvel. But a shout out, of course, to our normal hosts, Carson and Joe, who are both getting excessively stressed out by work this month. So hopefully they get that situation under control. I can't really do the, like, we haven't done an episode with Carson for two months. Like, we have to have Carson back next time. There's no, I can't escape it. He has to get his work. He has to get his shit done. There's no two. Carson, get your shit done. Get paid. All right. I think that's it. Shout out to everybody else who gets to listen and put up with our shenanigans. We appreciate you all. That's why we keep doing a show. So make sure you download, then download again, then maybe a third time. And things about us. Tell them two hours of solid dick jokes. Just like Mark Weber wanted. Exactly. At a reasonable price. Well, yeah. We haven't started charging anybody. for God forbid we started charging nobody. Nobody'd listen. We get like two downloads. Yeah, but those would be the diehards. Yeah. You know what? Just charge them like, I don't know, nice bucks for two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, pro- we'd probably get D-Bash and somebody we don't know at all. That's probably oh, what we would get. You'd have to label them as European Tiger Force episodes. Yep. I think, it's all the marketing. I can help with that. I, I think on, on that aspect <laughs> of things, I think European Tiger Force, I think McLeod's done that one already. Oh. No, nobody, nobody's paying ninety six for a Sonic Fighters. Sorry. Come on, it's Dodger. <laughs> uh, let's get out of here before this gets any more nonsensical. You guys have any any last little bits to throw in there? I'm good. I think it's, um, it's been a pleasure. I say it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure it'll be like you know this will be my one and only appearance after tonight. But no, it's been it's been a blast, Mike. Oh, and Mark, look, you went through the whole thing sober, so that that already means you're not not our biggest. Desi- no, that's terrible. That's a that's that's an you, awful joke to make. You actually think I'm sober right now? That's fantastic. You're, you're not a very entertaining drunk. If that's the case. No. Let me tell you about. No, I'm not. It's not happening. <laughs> for my spectacular guest hosts, Mark and Fred. Uh, And for all of us who are normally involved in What's on Joe Mind, thanks again for tuning in tonight. Be sure to stay tuned for our next exciting episode of What's on Joe Mind. You guys have a great evening. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Good night. See you, Fred.